0: It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Nicholas DeLeon is here from Consumer Reports. Jill Duffy from PC Mag and Owen Thomas, formerly of Protocol. We'll talk about the demise of Protocol, chaos in China, chaos at home with Elon Musk's Twitter, Black Friday, kind of a bust, and a French court that says it's okay not to have fun. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This This is is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 903, recorded Sunday, November 27th, 2022. Opt in for fun. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Collide. Collide is an endpoint security solution that uses the most powerful untapped resource in IT end users. Visit collide.com slash twit to learn more and activate a free 14 day trial today. No credit card required. And by eight sleep for a limited time. Eight sleep is offering twit listeners up to $400 off their sleep fit holiday bundle by visiting eight sleep.com slash twit after November 30th, go to eight sleep.com slash twit and check out the pod and look for other exclusive holiday savings. Or save $150 at checkout with our normal offer. And by Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. Let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New members can try it free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash twit or text twit to 500 And by OnLogic. OnLogic is helping innovators around the world solve their most complex technology challenges using OnLogic industrial computers, engineered for reliability, even in environments that would challenge or destroy traditional computer hardware. Learn more and find out about OnLogic's 30-day risk-free hardware trial by visiting onlogic.com slash It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the week's tech news uh, digested, chewed, digested, and regurgitated by some of the best uh, tech journalists in the business. That's disgusting. Nicholas DeLeon is here from Consumer Reports. He's senior electronics reporter. Great to see you again, Nicholas. Thank you, Leo. Welcome. Uh, We also want to say hi to Owen Thomas. He used to work at Protocol uh actually we'll get this we'll get the scoop uh, on what happened uh, there but always a good friend His uh lower third used to say uh alex's twitter daddy is that correct alex's twitter dad close twitter dad daddy is daddy has a a little it's a it's a step too far yeah okay yeah but it's true it's true uh alex wilhelm owes it all to owen thomas let's not forget and we're also re- re- reviving his more moribund blog, which he hasn't posted to in six years, to the because hey, we all need a blog these days. Exclusive. You are hearing it here first. Yes. It is relaunching. It is Good. back. Quick, post something. Also here from PC Mag, I am thrilled to say hello to Jill Duffy. Uh, she's also the author of the Everything Guide to Remote Work, which probably is uh still pretty au courant, isn't it?
2: It absolutely is, and I hope it stays that way for as long as possible.
0: <laughs> you might want to look at that, Owen. Actually, uh Owen, uh you're in the protocol offices right now. W- what is what is going on? I am. This is like the opposite of
3: remote work, right? Uh, no, it's you know, it's uh it's a nice podcasting studio, among yeah. other things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're we're technically in what the Germans call uh, das Abwickeln or the winding down of protocol. So uh, the office is open for a, a few weeks longer.
0: What is there to wind down uh, on a tech blog? Uh,
3: you know, there's, they're they're actually uh, continuing the source code newsletter. Oh, um, that's right. Okay, for for okay. A, I think a few weeks longer and. Um,
0: yeah, you know. I'm really but, sad. But, I really liked Protocol. Yeah. And every time we had you on, I would say, what a great job you were doing. What great coverage. Um, this was, you were, I didn't realize this, you were still under the umbrella of Politico, which was sold to Axel Springer, the big uh, German publisher, some time ago. And it was Springer's decision, I think, to, uh, to cut Protocol. Would you say it is a comment on tech? Like maybe, maybe we're in a bad business heaven for fend covering tech i think i think it's much more
3: common about media i mean you know there there certainly is like a um you know an incestuous uh, merging of tech and media these days but um you know it's a tough business i've been through a, a lot of publications that are sadly no longer with us yeah. um you know rip suck.com red herring Business 2.0. I mean, maybe it's wow. me.
0: Maybe it's you. Owen. Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> By the way, all of those were great. I loved suck.com What a wonderful attitude and take and, I, and a great place, great writing. Uh, Tony Perkins' Red Herring was fantastic. I love Tony and I loved Red Herring. I mean, it's kind of you worked for the best, except for Gawker. I'm not going to include Gawker, but you've worked for the, everyone else. has been great. Um, It is a tough, it's a tough road to hoe. We're even struggling, I think, as a tech-focused podcast. Um, I'm really close to murdering somebody and having a mystery uh, show because, (laughs) joking, joking. It's okay, John. John's going to disappear and people are going to think I did it. Uh, What happened to Jammer B? It could be a good podcast. Uh, Jill, you're still, PC Magazine's still around, but kind of a shadow of its uh, former glory days, I guess.
2: (laughs) It just had its fortieth anniversary wow. actually. So there was a there was a lot of interesting fun stuff we did this year, um, such as a second big interview with Bill Gates, which I believe was in wow. the inaugural issue back yes. in the early eighties.
0: Under Bill McCrone, probably, or even before Bill macron Um yeah, forty years. Wow. That's kind of amazing. I yeah, worked for Jeff and- Davis, so I was part of the you know, the family for a long yeah. time. Yeah.
2: This year, PCMag has its first female editor-in-chief, and that is Wendy Sheenan-Donnell, who has been with the publication for a long time. She started out managing and editing, um, covering consumer electronics, and kind of worked way up, Um, and she's really taken the helm with great leadership, and uh, I'm really grateful to work with her.
0: Yeah, that's good news. I see your article here on the top tech and tools you need for taking digital notes. It's funny, we had Phil Libin on last week who founded Evernote.
2: Oh, yeah, I know Phil.
0: Yeah, Phil's great. And it was, you know, I was trying to get him to say bad things about uh, Evernote and Bending Spoons, their new owner, but I couldn't get him to. So,
2: oh, I got to say, since he left, I have not been super happy with Evernote's direction. I I, I jumped ship a couple of years ago on that. I I just couldn't keep up with that tool anymore. We all
0: did. But Phil is one of those diplomatic guys who's going to be careful. He even almost had something nice to say about Elon Musk, almost. <laughs> and Consumer Reports, how old is Consumer Reports, Nicholas? It's I think ninety three, yeah,
4: something like that. It's, it's Older than my old. mom.
0: Yeah, it's an old publication
4: still around. Still, this the magazine is still around. It still does well. I still get uh, it? The website. Yep. I mean, most of my stuff is on the website, of course. But yeah, uh, yeah, I I I'm happy to be here. I'm proud to be here, and long may it continue. I guess. Although with media, you know, everyone.
0: You know, we're just lucky. a Yeah, we all feel lucky just to be just to have a day job.
4: <laughs> it's it's you know, it's it's a tricky business, like Owen was saying. Uh, and I, I'm actually interested, too. Is like, is it is it a tech thing? Are people just over tech? I feel like since 2016, it's been just like non, like an onslaught of nonstop, like big tech. Tech is evil, yada, yada. And maybe people are just over maybe it. They're done. I don't know. Yeah.
0: yeah. Consumer Reports made a little bit of headline uh, last week for the first time, disrecommending the Tesla. I remember in the early days of the Tesla, it was the highest-rated car. Uh, and I know you're not involved in the car testing. so Yeah, I have zero, yeah, zero insight, input. to be honest. But they said it's the highest-rated car we've ever tested. They gave it 100 points. Uh, now here we are some years later, and they've actually uh, de- Oh, no, it was Ford, not Tesla. It was Ford they delisted uh their electric vehicles i i noticed this cuz i drive one <laughs> because of uh unreliability but even even the tesla even all the electric vehicles do not score very highly on the rated on the uh, on the reliability
4: i just bought a brand new 22 toyota rav4 gas engine uh the electrics seem interesting but i feel like
0: i'm not quite there yet to not buy there one there yet yeah they it's an interesting thing you know maybe we're going back to gas engines maybe it's maybe gas is back Uh, no idea no i I hope not (laughs) so uh let's talk i guess uh about twitter (sighs) there's really only one news story at this point which is that musk said on friday that they're going to restore he had a he had a poll so weird that elon musk who tried to get out of the twitter deal by saying oh the bots the bots the bots you can't nobody's real on twitter and now has having polls which are clearly botted heavily botted uh the poll 72 percent i think voted yes twitter should reinstate accounts banned for harassment misinformation hate as long as it's not illegal he said we're bringing them back Is next week gonna be a nightmare uh, on the health site? Owen, do you still spend time uh, on the Twitter? I I tend to be uh, more of a broadcaster than a
3: consumer. Yeah, me on, too. When
0: I use Twitter, on Twitter, I yeah, tend to
3: yeah. I, I tend to put messages out there. I try to keep up with any responses, but like I'm these days, especially, I'm just not going back and forth a lot with it. And I I find that's kind of a healthy like relationship. With Twitter, um, I, you know, I think it is an unwinding of all of the work that it's Twitter, sad. yeah, you know, Twitter under Jack Dorsey did on prioritizing health. And I think the real impact you're going to see is that advertisers who had already paused a lot of their business with Twitter are going to just walk away because it's not a must buy it is a relatively small audience online it doesn't you know it doesn't move the needle uh for like a big uh you know consumer brand these days and um that's going to be a real problem for for Elon because you know it doesn't seem like uh blue verified is um
0: you know burning up the charts either in terms of bringing in revenue i know that jill's twitter handle is now Jill, I didn't pay for the check Mark Duffy. (laughs) You still have it, by the way. I didn't pay for mine either. We still have them, but I guess at some point they'll expire.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine with me. I don't really care. I, am I'm, ta- I'm taking a hiatus from Twitter. Last week was just the moment where I said, this is not what I can do right now. This is not where I can spend my time. Yeah. This is not where I feel good about spending my time and sending out my message. Um, so for those of you on Mastodon, I'm on the big server at Jilly Duffy at Mastodon dot
0: Um,
2: and I'll, I'll build up there a little bit. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I
0: just followed you on our Mastodon, uh, instance. Uh, Thank you. Tw- Twitter. Yeah, that's great. You're
2: and I, I'm happy to see some new ideas coming up about social yeah. media. You know, I, I think Twitter. Twitter really did have a place. Maybe it will continue to have a place. I'm not sure. Um, but I I think that. What Mastodon is really doing is getting people to think about, well, what would something that's similar to Twitter but different be like? I agree. Anybody who's coming to Mastodon thinking that it is a Twitter alternative, that it's just a um, recreation of Twitter on a different place, they're totally wrong. Um, You have to go into Mastodon thinking that this is something new, and you should really be open to experiencing it in a new way. So the way that you interact with people, the way that um, posts don't get... Bumped up into your line of sight based on how popular they are. The way that um, people are hosted on different servers—that is not just one big place controlled by one person. Like this is this is a great experiment in a way for people to try out something new, see if they like it, continue critiquing what they don't like about social media, and get more experience with it.
0: Yeah, maybe it could be a different thing entirely. A uh, kinder, gentler, no ads, no algorithm, conversation is an interesting idea. But Nicholas, you're done with you said you're done with social entirely.
4: I <laughs> I kind of think so. About six months ago, I really kind of stopped caring about social media and stopped using it. Not yeah. just Twitter, but Instagram. I think you're not and alone. I'm- I think a lot of people feel that way. Burnout. I mean, I've always used Twitter, frankly, as like a silly, you know, uh, uh, soccer jokes and video game gifs. I've, you know, since going back to 2008. So I've never really treated it as like critical to my life. So for me to step back and, and just like not use it as much is frankly not that big of a deal. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if, 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 you know, just seeing the news coverage of this and, p- and seeing how people get really, Maybe in some cases, kind of justifiably upset about the changes. made. it's like, do we really want a website to have that much control over our lives? Yeah. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Not uh, just I, lives, I
0: like, our mental state, our, our. Uh, for sure. You know how we how we think about the world, and yeah. especially one that's designed to spin up outrage and an upset. Um, I stopped using Facebook because I always felt bad afterwards. That was uh, years ago. Twitter. Like I often thing. think. I often think, you know, as
4: I'm, you know, you know, on, on my deathbed or whatever, not to be too weird, but like, am I, am I really going to say like, well, I wish I spent more time refreshing my timeline on Twitter? Probably not. I pro, I don't think I'm going to be saying that. I think, I think I'm going to be saying, Oh, I wish I spent more time with my friends and family. So like, I just, I just feel like the, the balance on a lot of these platforms has gotten way out of whack. Uh, and I personally am, am, am just trying to like, bring it back a little bit. And I've had, frankly, uh, great success uh, over the summer. I really s- tried to start jogging and I've gotten pretty <laughs> decent at it. Uh, I've gotten into pretty decent shape. And just like the number of hours that you just like spend just s- scrolling through doom scrolling. these, these days. Apps. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: Yeah,
4: I don't know. And I'm not trying to be glib or anything, but like I, I really I hope folks kind of use this kind of like Twitter moment as an opportunity to kind of like reflect and be like, is this Is this how I want to spend my life? Just like really getting amped up about this site. I don't know. I feel
2: like, you know, Twitter, Twitter has had its time though. I got to say, you you know, if we think back to the Arab Spring, for instance, or even Occupy Wall Street, Twitter really became the way that people organized and that they were allowed to talk to one another, find out what was going on. Even as recently as some of the riots in Hong Kong a couple of years ago, um, a lot of that was just, you know, grassroots organized through Twitter. So I, I, I think we should keep in mind that there, there is a population of people who are using it for doom scrolling. Um, I think it's, it's really become a replacement for RSS in a lot of ways, in the sense of getting your news right. So instead of getting an RSS feed of, of headlines that you're interested in reading, people started using Twitter instead and following journalists. And that was kind of an interesting use case in the same way that organizing social movements has become an interesting use case. And so, you know, I, I think the the doom scrolling and getting sucked into it and feeling bad about yourself, um, that certainly is a problem for a lot of people. But it's not the only way to use this tool. And again, like if we think about the ways that we are experimenting with social media, like there's a lot to be learned, whether people decide to stay with Twitter or not, there's a lot to be learned from it going forward about what kinds of tools do we need if people are going to collectively organize against a government or an institution of some kind. You know, It's
0: interesting that you say that because it's going on right now in China. I think that to some degree, That's opportunistic. People have done the same with WhatsApp or Telegram. Uh, Twitter was there, so they used it, but there are other ways to do it. It's interesting because about three weeks ago, Apple changed iOS 16 to change the way AirDrop works. You can't turn on, accept AirDrops from anyone for longer than 10 minutes. It turns itself off. And in the U.S., I guess you could say, well, that's a security measure but it was widely used in China uh, for organizers because it was one of the few ways you could communicate with anybody in your vicinity. You had to be geograph- you know, within, I guess, 100 feet of each other. But you could communicate with anybody in your vicinity without identifying yourself or them. It was a fairly anonymous way. And it, uh, I'm told it was widely used in China for organizing. China is now undergoing the most severe uh, uh, civil unrest it's had in years without that. And it's, and it, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I mean, we can't pl- point a finger at Apple and say, well, you see the Apple was asked by the Chinese, I mean, you'd have to presume Apple was asked a few weeks ago by the Chinese government to turn that feature off preemptively. Uh, they're no longer able to use it, but I, fi- I think you find other ways too.
2: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Twitter is one example, but some of the things that you just said, you know, Airdropping information using WhatsApp, finding other encrypted messaging apps. Um, these are all ways that we're, we're still trying them out. We're still figuring out what works. I just think when we look back at Twitter and its value, yeah, we should agree. remember those things and remember how they worked, when, why, and not just say, oh, it was just doom scrolling all the time and. You know, looking at Trump's tweets and Elon Musk's tweets.
0: Yeah, and we're very U.S. centric. I mean, Twitter is, is uh, most of the users or 80 percent of the users are outside the U.S. I read. I don't know if that's true. I think Elon said that. And many of them are in Japan. It's very popular in Japan. Do you uh, all remember when the the White
3: House actually called Twitter and asked them not to uh, shut it down? Um, for like scheduled maintenance because there were protests I think in Iran at the time. Oh, interesting. And they yeah. were, they were worried that it would, you know, interfere with the ability to, to communicate. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I, agree with what Jill's saying. I think people are mourning that Twitter, you know, or the many Twitters, you know, the, everyone kind of had their black Twitter. Experience. A lot of people yeah. who,
0: who didn't have a voice use Twitter to create community to, to get a voice. Um, yeah. We're mourning it. Yeah. And I think those
3: people are feeling that like with the, you know, with the dramatic loosening of, of policies and the deprioritization of health that like, you know, Twitter's just no longer a home for them. And it's it's hard to move homes. You know, it's, uh, it's certainly Macedon and Telegram and, you know, everything else is out there. But you just. Tumblr, you know, those, Tumblr, those a lot of people going to Tumblr. Like Tumblr.
0: Matt Muglingweg said 18 percent increase in Tumblr signups this week. Wow. Yeah. That's a throwback, um, but yeah, I I know I'm not going to go to uh, Tumblr or Mastodon to organize the next revolution. I don't think it's going to happen there. It's not that kind of a place. It did Twitter felt so much more public. I were I do also like you, Nicholas. Got news from Twitter. Yeah, and that's going to be a big loss. That was a it was almost a a wire service in a way.
4: I mean, it definitely replaced RSS for a lot of my colleagues and friends and in media. You know, we all used to use Google Reader. I used to use Net Newswire on Mac back in the day. And it's like these t- Twitter replaced all of that for better or worse. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see. You know, I, the the other thing I'm thinking is that maybe, you know, with, you know, these communities that are maybe, maybe it's time for a new a new thing. Maybe Twitter had its time in the sun. Uh, OK, great. Let's try something else. It's like it the idea that twitter was that was it the, the you know the final boss like that's the, that is as good as it's ever going to get on the internet is very weird to me that's not uh, yeah. like the yeah. idea it should be constantly getting better and improvement yeah. and like cooler or more interesting or more but just the idea that twitter is that's it no more that I, that never sat well with me
0: it's interesting I, I feel like the he, chat room is saying you're talking as if it's dead it's not dead i do feel like people are performatively quitting twitter like yeah. an
3: example is oh yeah Uh, Phil Schiller, the longtime Apple marketing executive. Now, you got to remember, so Phil Schiller deleted his Twitter account, but this is also the guy who deleted his Instagram account when they launched on Android uh, (laughs) years ago. So, you know, like you've got to remember that some people have their own agendas for like using this moment to say, well, I am done with Twitter.
0: Well, and I know that Tim Cook posted recently on uh, Twitter. Uh, Apple is uh, you know Tim Cook sent Thanksgiving greetings on uh, on Thursday uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think some people are saying I'm gonna stay on Twitter because I want to preserve it uh, I I want to make sure that there are other voices on Twitter. One of the things Elon really seems to be taking it rightward and uh, it would be it would be a shame if he turned it into another you know gab or truth social or right-wing, network. He seems to want to do that. I'm not sure I understand why, What the motivation is, but it's certainly not dying. Right? No, uh, but
4: I will say anecdotally when I log out in the morning and, and this is, the, I've never had Twitter on my phone for several years. That, that to me is a bad idea. Yeah, I bad only use idea. it on a desktop yeah. when I'm working during the day, but when I log on in the morning, I, especially the past week or so, I'm definitely seeing fewer humans that I know on the timeline. It is more just kind of like brands like Pepsi or, yeah. or CNN or A lot so of broadcasting. Like, I don't know. A lot of broadcasting yeah. on Twitter now. Yeah. That was very interesting to me. I noticed that a couple of days ago. I was like, yeah. huh, what is happening? Know, who knows? I but. think
2: part of this preemptive death sentence is that people were worried when a bunch of engineers got laid off and a bunch of people quit that there wouldn't be the staff around to support the tool anymore. And that little by little cracks would show, things would break and the site would go down. So, and I saw a little bit, little bit of that personally. Um, there was a day when somebody who had protected tweets was retweeted by somebody and that retweet became visible to all no longer protected. So, so it's that kind, it's that level of stuff that may break. Right. And little by little, if enough of it breaks, the site could theoretically go down. Um, I don't think it will just one day, you know, not be available on the, on the URL anymore. I think what we're going to see is, these cracks showing. And certainly a lot of that is going to come from content moderation. You know, those divisions all got completely obliterated um, from from the various layoffs and quitting in protest. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that those of us who don't work at Twitter don't know it was going on um, behind the scenes. We don't know the extent to which people were studying the kinds of language that was being used what sort of harm was being done how to prevent that harm and and so that's again where we may start to see things very slowly devolve and break rather than the site disappearing altogether it
0: was Phil Libin's opinion last week I got by the way I got a lot of email in both saying you should never have Phil on again he's obviously you know in Elon's you know corner and then people saying it was really great to hear a different take, a refreshing take. He's and I and I I like Phil and I trust him and I think he's very honest and I think he he said you know you shouldn't count it out. It may well be what Elon is up to is getting and I think there's some evidence for this. Getting rid of all the people who didn't like him weren't a hundred percent in in you know believers in Twitter. Stripping it down to the metal and then building it back up is a brutal way to do it, but. It could be said that that was what he was doing, and maybe, maybe you know, it certainly didn't go offline on Friday. I thought if it's going to go down, it'll go down during England, uh, U.S. in uh, exactly the World right. Cup. Sure didn't. It handled it fine. Elon posted that in fact, Twitter's doing better than ever and has signed up more. It's more active than ever before. He says. Well,
2: active doesn't bring in any money though,
0: right? I mean, but Elon, look, Elon still has plenty of money, even with the, he says new user signups are at an all time high, which is, I think, interesting. He posted a um, Twitter uh, slide talk uh, that he gave uh, to the company uh, showing, you know, we're recruiting new user signups at an all time high, two million a day, new users Uh Active minutes also at an all-time high, although that doesn't say anything. That Some of that could just be people coming to watch the, the flames. The the MDAO's passed a quarter million monthly daily. I'm sorry. What is M? Daily active users. M. It's monetizable. monetizable. That's right. In other words, not, not bots. bots. Okay. Yeah. Hate speech impressions are lower. Okay. Uh, certainly lower than they were when he took over. Let's put it that way. Reported impersonation spiked, yeah, we know why, and then fell. Twitter 2.0, and this is his plan for Twitter going forward. Advertising is entertainment. I I do remember one story that he uh, was talking to some people and said, you know, we should do more native advertising on Twitter. You should make ads look like tweets. To which somebody responded, "Um, that's what we're already doing. Um, I don't know what he means by advertising as entertainment. Maybe uh, this. in this case, the, the picture he's showing is from HBO. Are you a Targaryen, Valerian, or Hightower? Take this, like this tweet, and I'll analyze your profile. This is straight out of the Facebook playbook oh, and man. absolutely something I don't want to see on Twitter. Uh, video as part of Twitter. Well, Twitter already has video. He has been, it's been rumored he wanted to bring back Vine, which Twitter bought. And killed with uh, mismanagement, encrypted DMs, uh, which they were working on. They were working on. He says he's doing. Uh, he's working with Moxie Marlinspike, formerly CEO of Signal, and there is some. Some people have seen code uh, saying the word Signal, uh, so maybe that's going to happen. Long form tweets. So he fired the guy <laughs> who uh, who cheer led the 280 uh, character tweet in and at Twitter. He's gone but maybe they're going to do something even longer. Relaunch blue verified, at which point Jill and I and you guys will all lose your blue checks, I guess, which is fine with me. Payments. It's interesting. That and slide I, has nothing. <laughs> Just- <laughs> I, I, yes, and that blank, that blank
3: space shows you how little Elon not, has really thought uh, has thought easy. about this. Yeah. Um, in, in, in one of my last pieces for protocol, I actually wrote about how Uh, Elon Musk's plan for Twitter and payments basically looks like PayPal in 1999,
0: which he was uh, one of the early founders of, right? He's his company. X.com was sold to Twitter and he's one of the the, Twitter. Sorry. PayPal, uh, PayPal mafia. Yeah.
3: He merged. Yeah. He merged X.com into Confinity, which then became PayPal. But the problem is uh, Leo, that his playbook has not evolved in two decades and payments has moved on and e-commerce has changed enormously twitter has never been a good uh spot for e-commerce they have tried payments they've tried you know shopping inside you know inside a tweet and the the problem is people are there for conversation they're not there to you know to buy
0: things generally uh nicholas you're obviously a football fan and by which i mean soccer uh was it a good place elon says follow the world cup on twitter for best real-time coverage was it I mean, I think television is better. Uh, (laughs) You can actually watch the game. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On 4K. Fox is producing
4: it in 4K this year. It looks awesome. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But I I will say, I remember, man, I remember 2009 being on like a a TechCrunch, an early TechCrunch podcast. We were recording the podcast during the Champions League, uh, and and I I think Barcelona scored a goal. and And I was like, hooray, et cetera. And I was saying wow this is twitter is perfect for this i'm i'm talking to you guys on the air and i'm tweeting as we're speaking uh and i'm seeing all the people saying hooray Messi scored!" this is great so twitter has always been like a very good sports thing so i I definitely agree with elon there that's one of the things i've used twitter for since 2008 is like sports commentary sports rumors trade stuff live kind of like a live water cooler or whatever so it's actually awesome for that and uh it has it is held up during the world. i was actually kind of semi expecting it to kind of buckle under the pressure of the world cup the the volume of tweets maybe bringing the site down or bringing back the fail whale or whatever i haven't seen that no Uh, and i've been on the site and i've been watching every more or less every second of the world cup and on my desk here so it's like it seems to be okay i don't know that it's the best place for live coverage i think television is a little better uh but i see his point it is it is it is a nice additive to the experience and and it makes it uh you know i used to uh, you know, back back in the day, I used to watch a lot of uh, WWF Pro Wrestling, and I remember I was in an IRC chat room with some friends uh, during the show on Monday nights, and okay, maybe that was like 10 people. So this is the same thing now with millions of people, uh, and it's kind of fun to kind of join and like, and hooray, you know, Spain scored, Germany scored, and go back and forth. Uh, so I, I don't entirely disagree with them there, I guess.
0: I used to, uh, you know, anytime, it was not just sports, any live event, like Oscars or whatever, I would open up. The, I would have my laptop in front of me while I'm watching the live broadcast because it was always fun to kibitz uh, with sure. with other people. That is a that is a social activity, and Twitter was very good at that. Uh, some people in our chat room are saying, "Well, you could do the same in Mastodon." I don't know. This is a world. If I pin a column with World Cup as the hashtag, I guess I can I can follow. It's not. It doesn't have. It's not quite the hooray place, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with. I know Masen exists. I haven't.
4: I haven't started one. I'm probably not going to start. But, but yeah, I do. My brother. Fine. My brother is 10 years younger than me. He's 26. Uh, what does he I do? I don't. What do the youngs uh, he, do? That's what I. want I was going to gonna say. He's on Discord basically yeah. all day. Yeah. Uh, so and to me, Discord feels like that. I agree. Almost like a recreation of like the IRC or the Usenet chat groups back in the day, where it's like, okay, we have a small little community that are all into pick your topic uh, and they're all friendly and yeah, and there's gotta be
0: uh you know yeah. a hashtag manchester united uh discord that all the men you guys are in there and go or there might be there multiple are,
4: ones for there are for, you know yeah for sure
0: yeah you know boston supporters or yeah. folks
4: in in miami yeah. or whatever yeah. and it feels like maybe twitter it's it's so big our brains can't wrap around like having that many people in Connecting to and maybe a smaller Discord with like eh, 20 folks or whatever. Maybe that's more manageable. Dunbar just like,
0: number. Yeah. 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 Something yeah,
4: to that effect. But my yeah. brother is on Discord frequently. And uh, I, I know I've seen smaller podcasters. Who you know who are in fact kind of migrating their communities away from Twitter uh, and putting you know Discord access behind a Patreon paywall and saying hey guys we're gonna hang out here we're gonna talk about the same stuff but this feels like a little bit more curated a little more personal and we'll see how it goes but I do see Discord as being kind of like a place where where the kids are well they're already there so gee what a great idea we should do
0: that. Oh, we did. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it was, that was an eye opener for us. We started Club it about a year ago. Just like, just as you said, it was behind a paywall, seven bucks a month. Uh, mostly we thought the benefit will be ad free versions of the shows, no ads, no track, right? You just get to listen to the content. And it turned out the Discord, which we threw in as a sweetener, yeah. turned out to be the best place. Uh, it's a, it's a great social network there's about i think there's 3,000 4000 people in there now uh and it's just uh which is maybe a little too big to be honest but what we did is we created a lot of sub channels so you know you can hang out in you know uh i, I, I hang out in the coding channel in fact a- advent of code is coming up so we're getting ready for that but there's you know beer and and i wonder if there's a a football we, you know geeks are not big yeah there's a sport ball of course. Geeks are not probably ball. the biggest sportball people, but uh we got we got But some to me that's ball. interesting because you know,
4: you you have an audience of, of technology enthusiasts, folks who are into this stuff, right. regardless of what's happening in the industry. The people who listen to your shows like this stuff. Yeah, they and want so to hang So there's a there. commonality there. Yeah, exactly. So maybe okay, we all like Android. We all like uh, the iPhone or whatever. But oh, also maybe we'll talk about the Oscars because we're right. all, we're all friends anyway about this grander
0: thing. But I want to watch the Super Bowl. That's with a good my point.
4: Friends, That's a know? very
0: good point. Yes. Yeah, so it is. It starts with the the podcast and tech. But it's yes. not limited to that. That's a very good point. We need to- Whereas with Twitter, it's like it's it's everyone. It's yeah. every
4: everyone discussing everything simultaneously, which can be a little bit intimidating, a little bit. Well, I don't want to hang out with those folks because they're jerks and a lot of them are jerks on Twitter. So yeah. it's like, all right, well, maybe the smaller community and we can just hang out there. So yeah.
2: I think you're bringing up a really interesting point, though, about communities. So I, I think, you know, these smaller places that are a little more protected, a little more private, maybe behind a paywall. Are, are good for cultivating small communities if people have similar interests. When we start to think about news and culture and education, I think that's a point where we also need a place that isn't an insular community, where we should be exposed to news that we aren't individually seeking out, or articles and reading that are not just in you know the the group of people that we follow are going to Tweet about them or push them out or whatever. Um, I've been I've been doing some mentoring this year with some younger writers who are just starting out in their careers, and something that I never really put words to before, but I've realized in talking to them, is um, the value of a very broad general magazine. So when you get a magazine, content is coming to you that you have no idea what it is, whether it's weekly, monthly, whatever. Um, but it's this opportunity to explore ideas that you wouldn't necessarily go and seek out yourself or that people in your small in, insular community aren't going to share with you. So I think they're, they're and, and they shouldn't necessarily be thought of as the same thing, right? These insular small communities and this idea of expanding yourself, reaching out, getting new ideas, new information, exposing yourself to that. Um, and, and I think a lot of what has gone wrong on places like Facebook and Twitter and even to some extent YouTube is that those two things started to at times kind of intertwine in really ugly ways where people were sharing articles and, you know, information that wasn't factual and people were fighting about it or people had different ideas and opinions about what the facts were, right? and so i I think it's just so so interesting to think about the ways that social media could could feed those two different parts of our needs and our desires for both community and
0: information beyond
2: our own walls.
0: get out of the filter bubble
2: to some extent, yeah, I mean, but even more than that, sort of being open to ideas that that are just nothing you would have ever thought of before. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the unknown unknowns, as it were.
0: <laughs> uh, Mastodon, which, you know, we've been doing a Mastodon server for three years. My lower third has had my Mastodon handle forever. Um, is nice because it's international. So it, and it's much more aggressively international. Uh, and so that's kind of, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't really call it Mastodon. I should call it the Fediverse because it's not just Mastodon. There are lots of other ways people can talk to one another across barriers using activity streams. Uh, Mastodon's just one way to do it. Uh, and I think that that is one of the things that Mastodon can, can bring to the table, uh, not to flog Mastodon because, um, Honestly, I think it's maybe groaning under the weight of all these new Twitter uh, people. But I I just think that there are – I guess my point really is that there are other ways. Discourse, Discord, Mastodon. There are lots of other ways that we can communicate. And maybe this is just an opportunity for us to find it. It's sad that Instagram has chosen – Facebook has chosen at this time to turn Instagram into TikTok and really destroy its its personal – it's so much more algorithmic now than it used to be – Do you you guys still use Instagram at all? Anybody? Do you, Owen? Do you, Insta?
2: I look at it. I look at it. I don't share so much on it. But I I do. I have a lot of friends kind of spread out around the world. And um, that's where people post pictures of their kids in Halloween costumes. And that's what I'm there for.
0: Right. But less and less it's that one where it's reels. Yeah.
3: I probably post more more on my dog's Instagram account than my own. (laughs) Sure.
0: But that's as you should. Lisa I mean, posts she's a lot of cats. Cute. Uh, this is our newest kitty. No, it's not. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I feel like Instagram maybe has kind of fumbled what it could have been as a refuge. I, I thought it was people. fascinating that Instagram has been
3: promoting the idea of alt accounts. Uh, you know, Facebook for a long time was like you know, you must have one real identity on the web. Yeah, Yeah, but now they're kind of embracing this idea that you'll have, you know, a second account that you use to kind of lurk and, you know, lurk and scroll and another account that you, you know, actually post with.
0: I guess that's really the bigger question is social's clearly changing, right? What social means, whether people want to use it. Nicholas, you're done with social. I bet you're not alone. I think there are a lot of people, especially in your age group, you're not really young, you're not old like me. That's a great
4: point. No, I'm in between. I, re- yeah. I remember pre-internet. I remember. I feel like I've seen so many websites. And I've, I've been a member of so many message boards that have died over the years. just yeah. like all right. Well, here's another one that's going to die.
0: Oh well. Uh, so you just it's just part of the the way of the world. It's part of, part of yeah. the, the the circle of life, yeah. kind of. With Facebook suffering, uh, you know, and Mark saying, "Well, I guess we're going to get out of social and head to the metaverse." I wonder. Maybe we're seeing a, a complete transformation of. Of how we how we use the internet. The internet's young. We don't know what the internet, you know, yes. is going to be like. Uh, it's still a young technology, and it's still getting molded by its uh, users. And every generation that comes along uses it differently. That's why TikTok took off. That's that's a that's, you know, that's a different generation than the Facebook generation. All right, we're going to take a little break. Come back and talk about something, anything other than Elon Musk. If you'll let us, <laughs> it's great to have uh, Jill Duffy here. PC Mag, the book, everything, the everything, everything, the everything guide. There it is, the everything guide. Everything you need to know to remote work. Is hybrid hybrid's not not remote. Right. I mean, hybrids. It's
2: included. One of the, one of the things I say very on in the early on in the book is that remote work is not one thing. There are so many different ways that we experience remote work. So sometimes it's an entire team being remote. Sometimes it's one person being remote in a different time zone. Sometimes it's a hybrid situation of people coming in one or two days a week. Um, there's no one right way to do it, but there are lots of tools and guidance and best practices that make all of remote work better.
0: And when Elon says everybody has to come in, I feel like that's very backward. That's not that's that is not a modern way of thinking about things and I think
2: I will say especially in the accessibility sense, you know, I think he had to specifically kind of throw in a disclaimer at the end that said, oh yeah yeah unless of course it falls under ADA compliance in some way <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah if you can do your job from home better, more efficiently, healthier with the tools that you need, why on earth do you need to be in that office?
0: Is there evidence that people do as well or better uh, working remotely?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's lots of mixed studies. You know, like I said, remote work is not one thing. It depends not just on the configuration of who's remote and how and when, but also the actual work that you're doing. So a number of years ago, before the pandemic, and I'm going to bookmark that and come back to that idea in a second, that Remote work under the pandemic. But before the pandemic, there was this great study done. Um, I believe it was in China with essentially like travel agents and about half of the team was randomly selected to work at home. And if they didn't want to, they could opt out of it. But they sent 50% of the people home and they worked for about seven months and collected data on the number of calls that they answered, the number of, uh, you know, travel reservations that they made, et cetera. And they found that the people who work from home. Um, they weren't burned out from a commute, so they started work on time. They weren't worried about rushing to get home for kids or other obligations, elder care. So they worked until the end of the day. Uh, they were at their leisure to take breaks when they needed, which helped them be more productive throughout the day. And so the productivity of the team that was working remotely was much, much higher. So I want to come back to this idea about remote work during the pandemic, Because the most important thing that happened then that people often neglect to mention is that people weren't opting in. People were being sent home and told, you must work remotely. It's not your choice. It's not my choice as the employer either. Everybody's got to go home. So that created a situation where people weren't choosing to do it and organizations weren't set up to support them. So when we look at what happened during the pandemic, we had really mixed results. Some people hated it. Some people were less productive. Some people were more productive. But it depended a lot on whether you wanted to be there, what the other conditions were in your home at that time, if you had kids at home, if you had other people in your house that wouldn't normally be there, and whether your organization was ready to support you and give you the tools that you need, and really the corporate environment to support people being remote and sort of trusting them to do their jobs effectively.
0: Well, We've had that experience with our small company. Uh, And I think at this point, we've kind of decided, do what you want. (laughs) Some people come in, some people don't. There's some people have to, engineers have to. Uh, But a lot of our hosts still do shows from home. Um, And it's worked out fine. I think there's some fear among management, not here, but in other companies that Oh my God, these people aren't going to be, Elon feels like he really thinks you're not going to be working if you're at home. I want to, I want to be, I want you to send me a snapshot of your codes commits every week to make sure you're working. He even, <laughs> he even, he even said, managers, make sure that everybody we're paying is a real person, that there's no fake people on your payroll. I think he's kind of got a little screw loose around that people aren't working thing. Is is most was most of protocol uh in office, Owen, or was it some of it work at home?
3: We were, you know, I like to say protocol was distributed rather yeah. than hybrid or remote. You know, we had um offices like this one in San Francisco, New York, and uh, Roslyn, Virginia, right outside DC. Uh we had a lot of people in um places like Philadelphia, Portland, you know, uh North Carolina, um Chicago where we didn't have physical offices so we tried to come up with some benefits you know for example like a a stipend you could use for commuting expenses if you were going into an
0: office or just uh, you know any remote work expenses if if you weren't I'm one of those people who actually likes to come in I all through COVID I came in um and I but but very you know and then I guess John you had to come in because we had to have somebody in studio and we we observed COVID protocols to kind of keep people safe nobody got it um, until we had to actually, nobody got it until it was over. And we all got out, went out into the real world and got sick immediately. <laughs> uh, but it worked out pretty well. And then my, my, a lot of our staff doesn't want to come in. I would feel lonely. I like to come in and see people. Nicholas, do you go in or uh, I can't remember. CR,
4: uh, uh, I, I guess hybrid would be the word. Uh, my department was made remote. I Pre-pandemic, I used to have, I guess, like a little cubicle uh, in the Yonkers office all those offices were requisitioned and they were, they're kind of just like roving offices. And so I go in maybe once a month, twice a month. I, I, I basically work for my home office uh, every day. I prefer it. Uh, my first job at TechCrunch was work from home. I learned to work, from home,
0: basically. It sounds a lot better than a little cubicle in Yonkers. I'll be honest.
4: <laughs> it was actually the, the 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 office itself was probably the nicest office. Yonkers is is not exactly Midtown Manhattan, uh, to be fair. Uh, but I've worked in Midtown and I didn't have as nice of an office, so it's kind there of you, uh, uh, yeah. you know, yeah,
0: give it take there. Uh, all I know about Yonkers is that's where Hello Dolly was. That's all. I, that's all I know about it. <laughs> it's a fine place. There's uh, what there's borough? A what there. borough is Yonkers in? Oh, uh, it's in Westchester County. Westchester. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty it's, far out of town.
4: It's like 30 minutes by car north of New York okay. City. Okay. Uh, so it's it's more, like, it's the New York City area, uh, but yeah. it's not literally in the weir- yeah. uh, the boundaries of New York yeah. City.
0: I just see you in this little cubicle in Yonkers, just head down, type and type and type. And it on, was, it's, yeah, I mean, and that was, <laughs> hey,
4: I'm fine with that. I have, that's my happy place sitting at a little desk writing about like the iPhone or whatever. I'm more than happy to do that forever,
0: basically. Yeah. When we I started doing the radio show nineteen years ago in two thousand four, I did it from my house and what I found was I, you know, I'd go in my slippers, right? And I just didn't have the energy. It was like, Yeah, it's time to do a radio show. Like it didn't feel like work. So I actually rented a place down down in this downtown that I would go to, a little like Garrett, but just the fact of having somewhere that I would get up, get dressed and go to. So I guess I guess I'm the person that needs an office. Um, I think Lisa's that way too. Our, my, my wife and our CEO, she likes to come in and she likes to have the people she's working with there so she can, you know, communicate with them in real time instead of over Slack. It's funny. Everybody has a little different.
4: I uh, definitely had friends, especially at the beginning of the pandemic who were having a pretty hard time with not going into an office and not seeing, they get that energy. And so they, they, they needed that. Me, I was, you know, I was like, I'm fine either way, frankly. Uh, but I definitely know folks who are in the same boat, Leah, who were like, I need to be in an office. Yeah. I need to see humans. Otherwise I can't, I can't do this thing that you're asking me yeah. to do.
0: Can you, I mean. Well, just for me, the idea of staying at home all the time seems like horrible. That's that was the bad thing about the pandemic is just being locked inside all the time. Hey, I want to uh, take a break. Come back with more with a great panel. So fun to have all three of you. Our show today brought to you by Collide. Uh, this is actually timely because a lot of people are working uh, in hybrid situations. A lot of IT departments are going crazy with endpoint security these days. And, you know. It kind of brought home uh, a truth about endpoint security. When you, when you, everybody was in the office. You know, you could do things like, you know, crazy glue the USB port and, and you know, <laughs> really lock everything down. But as soon as people went home, if they didn't like, you know, the user agents you were putting on their machine, if they didn't like how locked down their system was, if they were worried about, you know, the company spying on them, what did they do? They've got their home computer. They've got their own phone. And it pretty soon became clear that the old way of doing endpoint security wasn't going to work. Uh, that's why Collide has come along to tap the, the most powerful untapped resource in IT, end users. When you're trying to achieve security goals, whether you've got a third-party audit coming up or your own compliance standards, the normal wisdom, the conventional wisdom, treat every device like Fort Knox, the problem is old school device management tools like MDMs force disruptive agents onto employees' devices. They slow performance. They keep privacy as an afterthought. Employees know this. That way of doing things turns IT admins and end users into enemies, opponents. And then what's next? It creates its own problems because users turn to shadow IT to do their jobs. They start using their own stuff. And that's worse, right? That's far worse. Collide does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. So it works everywhere, whether your employees at home, at work, whether they're using Mac, Windows, Linux, it's completely cross platform. Collide automatically notifies any team member when the devices are insecure. You know, if there's something wrong, gives them step by step instructions on how to solve the problem. It all begins with that first DM. From Collide saying, here, let's install the Collide agent on your system. When you're reaching out to employees via a friendly Slack DM, educating them about company policies and enlisting them as your partners in security, you're building a culture in which everyone contributes because everyone understands what's going on, why you're doing it. You'll love it as an IT admin because Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet, running Mac, Windows, or Linux. You can see at a glance everything, like which employees have their disks encrypted or are up to date on their OS patches or are using a password manager, which makes it all easy to prove compliance to your auditors, your customers, your leadership, And it makes it easy to fix anything that comes along because Collide helps them do it. So they're your partners now. Collide, user-centered, cross-platform, endpoint security for teams that slack. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash twit to find out how. K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash twit. If you follow that link, they're going to hook you up with a goodie bag. I have my Collide t-shirt. I really love it. You get the stickers. You get a... Beer Coaster, a variety of Collide goodies. And that's just for activating a free trial. No credit card required. Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash twit. I just love the idea of making your users part of the team, not your opponents. Collide. Uh, thank you, Collide, for your support. We appreciate it. Thank you for supporting us by using those addresses. Make sure you know you use those, collide.com slash twit, so that the, they know you're here. So we mentioned, I mentioned uh, kind of tangentially, there's something going on in China. Uh, protests, significant protests uh, due to a number of causes, COVID lockdowns, you know, zero the zero COVID policy. Um, I don't know, you know, I imagine the Xi regime has the will and the ability to, to crush the dissent, I'm sad to say. Um, It seems like it's a kind of childish to say this, but it's also going to affect iPhones. (laughs) Among other things, uh, 30% production loss because of mass quitting at Foxconn. Uh, Foxconn, this is just part of the overall unrest. I'm very curious to see how this is going to impact China. But among other things, at least in the tech sphere, um, Foxconn was losing workers. They promised a $1,400 bonus for workers coming to Foxconn and then neglected to pay it uh, due to the f- failure to pay and growing fears about COVID 19. It is said that more than 20,000 new hires have left. And according to 905 mac an internal estimate reportedly says that more than 30% of production for iPhone 14 could be lost. It's already behind due to COVID. All of this is happening at iPhone City in Zhengzhou, China, the big Foxconn plant. Uh, Just one of many ways uh, unrest in China is going to be disruptive um, globally.
3: You know it's it's interesting the uh quiet quitting that you hear about in the in the states and i, I know there's controversy over that term but it really had its uh its roots in the lie flat movement in china and lie flat is basically what it sounds like you know you're just you stop working you just lie flat on the floor um and that really came from you know this kind of crazy culture of overwork in china's uh tech sector where you know people were, were expected to work like um uh you know like twelve hours a day, six days a week. Uh Elon Musk would have loved it. Um but uh tech workers revolted against those conditions. Um and I think you're you're seeing that kind of now move down to to factory workers who have historically not been kind of uh
0: apt to you know engage in these kind of mass protests. Um this is a big story, uh, you know, just as a, a, a global news story here uh, last night, uh, Sunday night in Beijing, a demonstrators holding a blank white pieces of paper. This is from the BBC uh, to uh, the pieces of paper are symbolic of censorship. Censorship. Uh, people are saying, uh, President she uh, should step down Um. It's, this is, you know, I mean, since Tiananmen Square, this has not happened in China. This is uh, somewhat shocking. Uh, so, it's uh, of course, you know, look at this. I'm, I, it's kind of amazing to think of it in a country where you really assume rigid control of the populace, that people would take their chances. But you see this in Iran, too. You know, you see people, there's a point at which uh, people say enough. Um, so we'll watch that. Uh, it's more than just a iPhone 14 production, but still that's one impact that we're going to feel, uh, in the U.S. I guess probably in, in manufacture in many ways. Uh,
3: you know, I studied China in, in college and, uh, the throughout history, the Chinese government is always thought of as having the mandate of heaven, you know, a, yeah. a legitimacy that's kind right. of handed down. And even the modern, uh, you know, Chinese Communist Party in some ways is legitimate because it's legitimate. Um, you know that that tautological mandate of heaven, uh, I think, applies even in the modern day, and so that's why it is so um, interesting to watch. And it's possible that this could really spiral because once you lose it, it's gone. You know, and um, so much of the Chinese regime really relies on kind of compliance, um, and it. You know, you can lose it quickly. I'm rooting
0: for them, for the people. Yep.
2: And as much as these stories are kind of taking the news now and last month a little bit with this relationship with Apple and how is it going to hurt, you know, international business, um, the lockdowns have been really strict and severe, particularly in a a few of the major cities going back to like July and August where I I follow a lot of – news out of China and there were reporters who were just giving their day-to-day accounts of being locked in an apartment building in Beijing week yeah, after that? week, after yeah, week they and having anywhere. to kind of like trade with your neighbors to get the the right foods yeah. that you need because you couldn't get access to food. So if you think about like the stress people have been under for the last four months of going through this, you know, in a, in a strict and severe way, not just, not just the, the standard everyday protocols, Um, with COVID lockdown, but the more strict COVID lockdown measures that have been going on as cases have been rising. um, Yeah. People are at a real breaking point.
0: Does Apple get any uh, heat for shutting off airdrop um, right before these protests broke out? We don't know if the Chinese government said Apple, had told Apple to do this, but they did it kind of unilaterally. Um, You know, they've, they're, seem to cover it up by saying well we're going to do this globally as well eventually um it sure feels like this was apple once again acting at the behest of the chinese government that's going to hurt their reputation if people if people start to think that right what do you think nicholas oh this is
4: so outside of my wheelhouse uh that's why i'm asking (laughs) you i want to push you in Well, no, I, 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 I wonder how many like average consumers really think about what Apple's policies in China are like at least consumers in the United States. Uh, i I would wager they probably out of sight, out of mind type of thing. So I don't know, uh, you know, I, all of us as journalists and, and aware of this yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look right, but also, you know, I didn't, I didn't like when, when the tech companies kind of uh, bent to the will of the NSA during all that stuff, uh, the, during the Snowden stuff either. And, you know, I still use,
0: I still use, use those products. So I don't really know. Uh, it, it, I, maybe I'm being a, uh, a, uh... A troublemaker but I really think that the public should know about this and that Apple should be held responsible uh, for this they they tout you know that they are you know this uh, privacy loving freedom freedom loving uh, country uh, company and Tim Cook you know says that but they have very close relationships with China um, so November 9th Apple released uh, an updated version of iOS 16 16.1.1 you might have seen it globally. Uh, all they said was this update includes bug, bug fixes and security updates as recommended for all users. But, and this is from uh, Quartz, hidden in the update was a change that only applies to Apple iPhones sold in mainland China. Airdrop can only be set to receive messages globally from everyone for 10 minutes and then turns itself off. There's no longer a way to keep the everyone setting on permanently in the Chinese phones. And you're right, Nicholas, probably nobody understands that that's a big deal in China until you know that AirDrop has been used as a communication tool in Hong Kong for protesters. It's been used to communicate with other protesters, to reach passersby, to spread messages to tourists from mainland China visiting Hong Kong. We had stories some months ago when uh, mainland Chinese uh, people arrived in Hong Kong, they would just miraculously get on their phone a pamphlet explaining what's going on, the news that these people in mainland China never heard because it was censored. Uh, on the mainland, according to courts, protesters have also airdropped protest literature, particularly on college campuses, which is, by the way, where some of these protests are breaking out now. China's control of the Internet is so strong that disson- dissonants have to use any tool they can to get around uh, the Great Firewall, now a- Apple, when asked about this, according to Bloomberg, didn't respond to questions. They said we're going to make this uh, feature global next year, but you know they did it without announcement in China just three weeks ago.
4: I seem to remember AirDrop also being like 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 a vector for abuse. If you just have accept everything from everyone, you could be on the subway and people are just sending you. Photos you don't necessarily want to see. So I always turn that off personally. I always recommend it to friends like you should just turn that off. I don't really see the point in having everyone having the ability to just send you stuff. Obviously, the context in China is different. Uh, But, yeah.
0: Yeah, no. In fact, I agree with you. I would recommend turn it off. You don't want uh, everyone. But if you're a protester in China, (laughs) sure, uh, there's a value to it. Uh, So Apple gets a little cover because they can say, well, this is the right way. This is the way we should do it anyway. Everybody's going to do this globally soon. So they get a little cover that way.
2: Just to make it explicit, I feel like what the Quartz article is kind of suggesting, and Leo, what you're sort of suggesting is, did the Chinese government ask Apple to make this fix explicitly, and did Apple comply and do it quietly without explaining in its notes, right? And we don't know, Um, but that is certainly a conclusion that one might speculate. Um, and
0: Apple has and cooperated with the Chinese government in other ways, with VPNs. Yeah. They've they've dropped apps. And remember that you can't display the Taiwan flag on iPhones. The emoji for the Taiwanese flag is not available to iPhones, made in China,
1: which yeah. Apple but obviously I mean, did. It,
0: it's, it's
2: all kind of pointing at the fact that the relationship of a major um, world power and a government that is pretty oppressive has has a strong relationship with the world's richest company and perhaps the the, the most important company at least in the Western world um, and that relationship is a little bit worrisome like the the phrase too big to fail kind of comes back to mind right if 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 either one of these parties um, you know reneges on this contract that they essentially have with one another for Apple to get, it's inexpensive labor to make parts for its products, right? And and keep feeding the purchaser, the people purchasing these products to keep growing the company. Like that relationship is, is kind of worrisome. Like it's so big and so important to both parties and really internationally that um, you almost... You almost need to make sure that it doesn't fall apart um, and that if it is dismantled, it is dismantled very slowly and with care. And I, I want to say about a month ago, there was a lot of um, pressure on Apple to find new partners to start making some of its phone products or pieces of the phone product from other countries so that it wouldn't be relying explicitly on China because there were already so many factory shutdowns. Apple makes phones,
0: iPhones in India. They've already started that. Uh, Brazil, I think, they want to make them in Vietnam. But that's for a number of reasons, It's partly because they want to diversify. But also Brazil and India both have very high tariffs against products not made in country. So it's also just an economy. You can't sell an iPhone in Brazil or India at a reasonable price unless you make it there.
2: But you've got to start to wonder, too, what does China think of the business yeah, starting to no trickle kidding. out elsewhere, right? <laughs> Good point,
0: yeah. Here, this is a year ago. The New York Times did an investigative report, censorship, surveillance, and profits, a hard bargain for Apple and China. Apple built the world's most valuable business on top of China. Now it has to answer to the Chinese government. And we're seeing that. You know, we're seeing it, We saw it a year ago, and then we're seeing it again. Uh, Tim Cook went to China. He met with Xi uh, uh, and others. He probably made commitments uh, in order, you know, and that's the business of Apple. Is to, They got to make these iPhones. They make them in China. Uh, it's the cheapest, best place they can make it. They've actually, you know, built up the Chinese industrial economy considerably by building so many iPhones there. Um, how, I mean, what? So, Nicholas, you're right. I think most people aren't aware of it. I want to bring it up because does Apple have a responsibility? And what is its responsibility? I mean, they have a responsibility to their shareholders to make the most money possible. If you want to, the Chinese business is huge for them and growing. If you want to do that business, make that money in China, you're going to have to follow the laws of China. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Yeah that sounds almost too literal but like if you if you want
4: to do business with China you kind of like I I don't I don't really fault companies for you know doing by the law of their local you know whatever country so I I don't know I, I I I I struggle with this because it's like if China wants to be if if Apple wants to be in China China has rules. Uh, if Apple doesn't want to be in China, they're free to leave. Uh, but it certainly feels like really, they're not going to. There's no middle ground, to,
0: is there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
4: I don't, you know, what do I want Tim Cook to do? I don't know. I'm, I'm just a. I'm just a guy in the Hudson Valley. What do I know? <laughs> That's like, but it's like. <laughs> I'm just in I, a cubicle in Yonkers here, folks. Let I'm just me. <laughs> typing. But no, I, I, I hear you. It. And, and it's interesting. It's like we want companies to do better. We want, We would like companies to stand up for like human rights. Yeah, Google walked away from China.
0: But Google didn't depend on China in the way Apple does, right? A Times analysis, this is from that article, May of last year, a Times analysis found that tens of thousands of apps have disappeared from Apple's Chinese app store over the past several years, more than previously known, including foreign news outlets, Quartz, by the way, was one of them, gay dating services, encrypted messaging apps. It also blocked tools for organizing pro-democracy protests, and skirting internet restrictions as well as apps about the Dalai Lama. So I don't know, Owen, what do you think? What is Apple's responsibility here? Well, uh, I think, you know, Apple obviously wants to operate
3: in China, and um, it's really hard for the the iPhone business model to work unless you, you know, unless you have that tight link of the App Store, the apps, and, you know, and the hardware. Um And, you know, to do that, they have to go along with with local governments. I mean, we we do expect tech companies to obey local laws. Um, You know, that's
0: that is a reality. And and complicating this is the fact that the U.S. government is now starting to cut off China to some degree. They're actually Apple's going contrary to U.S. policy in some respects. So is this a balancing act that they're trying to keep two superpowers happy so they can continue to sell products in both?
3: I mean, it would be fascinating to see, uh, you know, a an American administration, any American administration go as far as saying like, hey, Apple, you can't make iPhones in China, um, you know, or, or sell them. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem like the, you know, the kind of brewing Cold War has has gotten to that point. The Biden administration has taken a really surgical approach um, uh, to this, and I credit my uh, my um, soon-to-be ex-colleague Max Cherny at Protocol for doing really in-depth reporting on this. They've been going after uh, very specific chip manufacturing technology, right. uh, especially technology that helps China build like the most sophisticated chips for artificial intelligence and decryption
0: and- of our. Uh, uh, encryption, which right. is and one of the fears of the U uh, S government is they're going to be able to decrypt our communications.
3: And, you know, and the, but the thing is, again, I would, I would stress the word surgical, like they've been doing right. things that are right. kind of like aimed at, at cutting China off at, you know, at the knees, uh, but without initiating some kind of like global trade war or, you know, or really, really doing anything that, consumers in in the U.S. or China would, would even
0: notice. Yeah. Uh, there is um, an issue uh, in specifically with a company called YMTC, which is a small Chinese chip maker. Uh, the government, the Chinese government funded um, and Ch- Apple uses, but not in its American iPhones, only in its Chinese iPhones. Uh, there is uh, a pressure on uh, Gino Raimondo, the, the Commerce Secretary, to add YMTC to the entity list, that surgical list of Chinese chip manufacturers uh, that are not allowed to buy American technology or components. Um, but Apple is saying, you better don't do Apple Apple's saying, we, don't worry, we only use YMTC chips and iPhones sold in China. <laughs> uh, but if if it's put on the entities list then Apple would have a problem. They actually couldn't use those chips anymore. So somehow they lobbied, I don't know, uh, the, the Commerce Department put export restrictions on YMTC, but they did not put them on the entity list. Um, this is the balancing act. And I actually have a lot of respect for Tim Cook because that's a he's doing diplomacy, like real hardcore diplomacy, balancing the U.S. government's interests, Chinese interests and still trying to sell iPhones to both. Um, Marco Rubio said, if Tim Cook understands the risks that YMTC and the rest of the Chinese Communist Party's chip making efforts pose to U.S. national security and that of our allies, then he and his company should clearly commit to not proceed. But they haven't yet. It's an interesting situation. This is increasingly the problem with big tech, isn't it? That they're global and they have to operate in a global environment. Uh, Elon's going to face this uh, in spades. He's fired most of the uh, EU, um, uh, the people in charge of, of responding uh, to EU privacy issues and laws. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to Twitter there. Um, it's 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 tough. I just I think it's important for people before we buy iPhones to understand the deal with the devil that Apple has done and to be okay with that or not okay with that and and respond. But consumers don't do that, do they, Nicholas? They don't care. In my
4: experience, I'm not I don't know. I feel like a lot of consumers have bigger problems in their yeah, lives than yeah.
0: worry about Chinese government policy. But this, I just want to not, be not able to, to message grandma, and she's got an iPhone. Yeah. I don't want to be a blue bubble, so there.
4: And I get that. People have jobs. They got kids. They work a million hours a week. Uh, you know, They just want their iPhone to send a funny little emoji without <laughs> necessarily thinking too hard yeah, about like, the chips that are in it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sympathetic to that yeah, attitude, actually. Yeah.
0: It's not, not – yeah you know, I don't know, though. I mean, one of the few tools – that we as consumers have to influence all this stuff is our dollar. Right? Yeah. Anyway, now you, so now, you know, the rest of the story. (laughs) All right. I'm going to take a little break, talk about uh, other tech stories in just a bit, but first I want to talk about what a good night's sleep I got. You don't care. You should care because you deserve a good night's sleep. And our sponsor eight sleep is going to get it for you this holiday season. Give the never ending gift of deeper sleep. Consistent good sleep is a life changer nature's gentle nurse we call it it can reduce the likelihood of serious health issues decrease the risk of heart disease lower blood pressure even reduce the risk of alzheimers but most americans suffer with poor sleep and the number one problem with sleep i think for a lot of us is getting hot in the middle of the night it's the worst and you know you'd think well that's only a problem in the summer and it is, but it's also a problem in the winter because it's so cold. You leave the heat on and then you wake up in the middle of the night. You're sweltering. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't leave the heat on anymore because I've got the eight sleep pod cover. We got it uh, more than a year ago now. And I can't, I mean, honestly, when I travel and I stay in a hotel, that doesn't have an eight sleep. I'm going, I don't know if I could take this. I don't know. The eights. Let me explain what the eight sleep is. They make mattresses, but we have the Eight Sleep Pod. It's a tech layer that goes over your mattress. It's like a fitted sheet, a mattress cover. Uh, but, oh, it does so much more. The pod dynamically cools or heats each side of the bed. So you can each have different settings to maintain the optimal sleeping temperature for what your body needs. And it's it changes over the night. So it can go as cool as 55 degrees. That's basically air conditioning for your bed. Oh man, when it was hot over the summer, I just loved that. Or as hot as 110 degrees. Sometimes I need that heat for my sore muscles. I get in bed, but here's the best thing: it adjusts. It adjusts according to how you're sleeping, how you're moving, the temperature of the room. It has an automated system to give you the perfect temperature. See, it turns out that uh, you know you might want to get in bed and it's nice and cozy and warm, but you. Ideally, as you go deeper and deeper in your sleep cycle, you want it to get cooler, and that will put you in a deeper sleep, and it really works. Clinical data shows that eight sleep users experience up to 34% more deep sleep. I know I do. It makes a huge difference. Now, the nice thing is each of you gets your own setting. So Lisa has completely different settings. She likes it really hot. She turned it up to 10 all the way up last night, and I'm just thinking, God, I don't know how you could take it i' I'm, I'm more of a five four or five guy, but then it goes down to two in the summertime it was actually minus one cooling me off. It's so great it, you just feel so good with with that great deep sleep you your your mind and body just feel like they're they're there for you they're it's vital for physical recovery, hormone regulation, mental clarity. It is the single best thing you can do for your sleep if you ask me. And by the way, I save money on my heating because I don't use my heating during the night. I don't have to heat the house. It keeps me warm. And it's a lot less expensive, a lot lighter on the budget to warm just the bed than it is to warm the whole house. It's not a holiday miracle. I know it might sound like one. But if better sleep is on your wish list, you know what? You can give yourself a gift this holiday season. Look no farther than the new Pod 3. Cover more sensors to do an even better job. And right now, what a great deal. For a limited time, 8 Sleep is offering Twit listeners up to $400 off their Sleep Fit Holiday Bundle. Exclusive holiday savings. That includes the pod cover that we have and we use and we love. In fact, we're, we're upgrading now to the pod three. We have the pod two. Go to 8sleep.com/slash Twit and you're going to get up to $400 off the Sleep Fit Holiday Bundle. 8 Sleep currently ships within the US, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU. And you know what? I know, Australia, you're getting warmer while we're getting cooler you can get it in australia too so if it's get you know you got a hot summer coming you're going to be so glad you have it 8sleep.com/twit spell it out e i g h t 8sleep.com/twit now this deal ends november 30th so don't wait uh, if you're listening after wednesday the same url 8sleep.com/twit and you'll uh, you can check out the pod cover there will be other holiday savings i'm sure or you could save $150 at checkout with the usual offer at 8sleep.com slash twit. I cannot recommend it more highly. Uh, Kevin Rose told me about it. In fact, Amy Webb was on the Twit show we were was talking about it. She ended up getting it. She said, you got to get this thing. I finally did about a year ago. We love it. And like I said, it makes it hard to sleep anywhere else. I'm hooked. 8sleep.com slash twit. Thank you, 8 for for your, your support of our show. And thank you. Dear listeners, for supporting our show, by visiting 8 slash twit. You can do that URL that you know. There's another way you can support the show. I might mention, by the way, we we we, we have this great club. I was just talking about this with uh, Nicholas. Club Twit. Seven bucks a month. It's $1 less than getting a blue check on Twitter. That's a good deal. You get a lot more, too. You get all shows ad-free. Plus, you get shows we don't put out to the public. Hands on Macintosh with Micah Sargent. Hands on Windows with Paul Therott. The Untitled Linux Show with Jonathan Bennett. The Giz You get a lot of bonus content stuff before and after shows. And then, of course, the access to the Discord. That is really the social network for anybody who listens to Twitch shows. It's fantastic. Plus, your subscription supports Mastodon. It supports our Mastodon instance at twit.social. It supports our forums at twit.community. It supports everything we do. It keeps people hired. And as we're heading into the holiday season, things are looking a little bleak for 2023. Uh, We are not alone. The tech industry uh, advertising is really slowing down. Uh, your, Your contribution makes a big difference. It keeps the lights on. Please, twit.tv slash club twit. I know you. if you can't afford it, that's fine. I had We had somebody uh, send us an email saying, I'm on a, a fixed income. I only have $1,000 a month. I said, please don't join Club Twit. I sent him a, con, a complimentary subscription. He says, no, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I said, all right. If you can't afford it, I understand. But if you can, it really makes a difference. Twit.tv slash club twit. Hey, some good news in the robocall world. The FCC is finally getting some teeth. Nicholas, you must get people talking to you all the time about how do I get rid of the robocalls and the spam yeah. texts and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I get that all the time. I I
4: personally get those calls all the time, uh, and it, I don't really have advice for folks. It's like this this is this stinks, doesn't it? Uh, I don't really know what to tell them, so I'm I'm. I'm glad that hopefully there are some steps being taken to eliminate it because it's gotten to the point where it's like, I, I know like millennials, people don't pick up their phones anymore because they expect it to be about like their phony car warranty or some other scam. Oh, and so God. it's like, well, if phones, if I can't call someone because they're afraid to pick up the phone, because then phones become, what's the point of having a phone anymore? yeah uh, So yeah. this is a very American problem. We just let scams get out of control so much that phones don't work anymore.
0: Well, and it's frustrating because the FCC can regulate this. They have. they, You know, there's this uh, protocol called Stir and Shaken, uh, which is a, basically an authentication protocol that lets uh, your phone company, whoever your cell phone company is, authenticate that the call is coming from an actual subscriber to that actual com- company. That's their real number, not a spoofed number. And uh, the FCC's been really dragging their feet enforcing this so that's why this is a uh, good news the the commission required that any u.s. based carrier with ip networks which is all of them by the way use stir and shaken and they had to implement it by june 2021 but at the same time because the fcc is the best commission money can buy uh they created something called the robocall mitigation database which actually should be called It's Okay to Spam People Database because if you're in the robocall mitigation database, then T-Mobile and AT&T and Verizon and U.S. Cellular and all the cell phone companies can say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do those robocalls. So this database, which is basically a get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, finally, the FCC is finally, they've... (sighs) took years to do this, going to start blocking companies. They told providers that if, uh, as of September of last year, if the company is not in this database, block them. You have to. Legally, you have to block them. But they didn't take anybody out of the database. In October last month, they said we are, they warned global, a company called Global UC and six other companies we're going to take you out of the database. We're going to you're going to lose your 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 get out of jail free card if you don't comply with the anti robocall technologies. For the first time in living memory, the SEC has actually done something. They have blocked Global UC. Now I don't know how many robocalls come from this one company, I, I but they're no longer in the database. Um. There's, it's unknown, according to Engadget, whether anybody else will be blocked, whether there's any other penalty. The FCC says we're still reviewing responses from the firms that we've warned, uh, nor does do we know yet if this is going to reduce the volume of robocalls. Just anecdotally, it doesn't seem to have done much. You're still getting them. Um, I, you know, I, I just feel like the FCC needs to kind of step up and 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 do what they said they were gonna do. Uh, June of next year is the drop dead date for any call any uh, company outside the US that doesn't have uh, that has facilities, that has buildings. Maybe June of next year robocalls will be a thing in the past. I doubt it. I doubt it. At least they're making an attempt. Uh, Let's see, what else here? New York State has banned for two years proof-of-work mining. The uh, new governor, the newly elected governor, uh, has signed the law because crypto mining using proof-of-work is incredibly energy-intensive. They have made that illegal, which just means they'll move over to New Jersey. But, you know, Everything's legal in Jersey, as they said in Hamilton. Um, anything to say about that? Are we, uh, are we happy? Are we celebrating? It's only a two-year moratorium, which is kind of weird. It's it, To me, it's just interesting because I feel like the proof of works,
4: like that feels like that's fizzled away. Especially like GPU mining. Yeah. Uh, certainly for individual people, but even for like these firms. Like, is that even
0: a thing anymore? Well, uh, it's or- less valuable now that Bitcoin is at its uh, you know low uh, for the last two years. Uh, apparently a lot of, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A lot of, uh, Bitcoin miners have sold their, or selling their used GPS, GPUs. Oh yeah. It is it's a <laughs> great
4: time to buy a graphics card. They're
0: so cheap. I'm not sure you'd want to heavily use. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you would. It's worth a try if it's cheap. I, I mean, the funny thing
3: is, uh, you know, these miners were very reluctant to sell Bitcoin, um, when it was peak, because they were, they were hodling, right. They were holding on for dear life. They kept betting that the price would go up. And so they would borrow money to buy Bitcoin mining equipment. They'd borrow fiat. Um, yeah. And so they've been like, you know, just kind of like triply hit by rising interest rates, um, you know, dropping
0: the dropping price of Bitcoin and, uh, and the collapse of know. FTX. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about that a lot in Sam uh, Bankman Fried and, the crazy stories coming out of there. I can't wait to see the uh, soap opera. Um, but I have to think this has hurt crypto in general and NFTs in general. Is this Now this, what must, consumers must have this kind of pervasive feeling that it's all a scam and I'm going to stay away from it. I hope so. We can but hope. Uh, Julie, are you, I mean, uh, Judy, I mean... Uh, Ms. Duffy, are you? I do, Judy. <laughs> Judy, <laughs> Jilly, are you? Uh, are you a big crypto uh, supporter? I don't seem like doesn't seem like you might be, but i
2: Judy, 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 Judy Duffy. No, I no. am not a big crypto supporter. No. Um, so my my partner works in like international politics and has a background in um, that kind of stuff, and from the beginning. He's been a, a bug in my ear saying not only is it a scam, but it is, Stay it is, away. it's going to defraud people. It's going to hurt. When did you know, he start
0: saying that? That's good. He was right. He was ahead of the game.
2: 2015, really?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. All along, all along. Um, You know, people who know history sort of were were really alert to the fact that this whole money scheme was not going to go anywhere. Um, And I think in the international scene, what we've seen happen in El Salvador with the Bukele regime um, and people being literally murdered in the streets after the value of crypto dropped, um, you know, presumably because the government was paying off the gangs and then the, the value of the payment that the gangs received dropped incredibly suddenly. So they had to make a big statement and and somewhere above 50 people were murdered one night in the street, oh, just shot in the street. I didn't hear so like, about
0: that. This was in South of Africa. Of course
2: not. No, El Salvador. Oh, El Salvador. El Salvador.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the um, guy who's buying a Bitcoin a day. Yeah. Still. Yeah.
2: The, the, the very young leader of El Salvador, um, Bukele. So, you know, these are the, the small struggling countries that we don't hear enough about what's going on in their economies. Those are the people who get really hurt. You know, we can talk about the people in the United States who put their money into Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, lost it, no longer have any value to cash out, no longer have any equity. Um, but the, the real people who are being hurt are like actual physical human bodies, human beings so in other sad. countries.
0: So sad. It's
2: it's really messed up because, you know, we have to remember, like, money needs to be stable. That's part of what that's part of what money does when it is a when it has value to a society society is it needs to be stable and when it's not um really bad things happen and we can look at all kinds of examples throughout the world where you know a physical currency was not stabilized the collapse
0: of the deutschmark in the weimar republic led to the rise of hitler
2: so much insecurity for people um and and i'm not an economist this is not something i specialize in it's it's something i have a little tertiary knowledge about but it's it's really frightening and you know i think in the united states the discussion was so much about are you being scammed or are you going to make a million dollars and the conversation really needs to be a lot broader than that
0: yeah i did not know about the 62 murders <laughs> and the gang gang warfare uh in uh, el salvador that was in march uh, yeah wow horrific
3: the, the sad thing and just to pick up on uh, some points jill is making very very eloquently is that there is actually potential for crypto to serve a purpose in say international remittances i'd say for a lot of purposes like day-to-day payments buying a pizza buying a coffee crypto is not particularly useful in any you know developed economy but uh remittances are still really expensive they take a big chunk out of um you know out of the budgets of some of the least well-off households um in the US and and around the world um and you know this you know this erosion of trust uh is absolutely correct you know you should not trust people who have behaved this way but um it's it would be kind of sad if that if that potential to pull out costs from a really costly
0: system um, you know were to you know were to be lost in all of this i you know i think i don't know if bukele was a con man from day one i understand why you know he wanted to uh, you know withdraw from the world banking system that he felt like uh, was you know conspiring against el salvador Uh, he moved the uh, El Salvador currency from the U.S. dollar to Bitcoin about a year ago. Unfortunately, he did it right before Bitcoin crashed. Uh, So a lot of people in El Salvador lost a lot of money. It's dropped 61% since September. Uh, And Bukele spent hundreds of millions of dollars on Bitcoin and still says to this day he's going to buy a Bitcoin every day. Uh, They put in uh, Bitcoin ATMs. In every town plaza, they told businesses you must accept Bitcoin as payment. He bought a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin at its absolute peak, which means it's only worth about thirty million dollars now um, this is probably but do you think it was you know I think maybe he just was as much a victim as anybody he be-
2: mm, i think you, you might you might read a little bit more about his past,
0: oh really. <laughs> okay <laughs>
2: not 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 the not the stand-up guy you might assume
0: okay oh well
3: yeah i mean the you know he, he's been called the authoritarian hipster um and you know <laughs> just just, deservedly. You just it's a perfect
0: uh, combination isn't it
3: <laughs> but you know like el salvador did you know did have kind of a legitimate sovereign interest in de-dollarization right they had their own currency um it you know, it fell apart as many, you know, many of these small country currencies do. And they went on the dollar, which has a lot of downsides, but it, ha- it at least it offers was stable. Yeah, it, it offers some stability, um, which, you know, it, in the face of like, you know, runaway hyperinflation um, has some appeal. But, you know, for me, El Salvador uh, embracing Bitcoin was as much about de dollarization as it was about Bitcoin. It was just, you know, they didn't. They didn't have their own currency to use, and Bitcoin was kind of right. you know, fun, fun and trendy. Yeah,
0: uh, very sad. Um, not going well in El Salvador, and uh, I guess not going well in crypto in general. Miami club to- owners told the Financial Times, "Business is slumping as the biz as the crypto industry takes a blow. It's hurting even Miami clubs." I guess that's where a lot of the Bitcoin bros went to celebrate. Uh, Many clubs, this is from Business Insider and the Financial Times, many clubs had grown used to serving a new demographic, 95% men, young, with a kind of nerdy style. (laughs) They were all crypto bros. Out of the blue, all these kids from crypto started coming down and spending a lot of money, like an insane amount of money, said, uh, uh, Andrea Vermaccati, director of food and beverage at Moxie Hotel Group. He said, high-rolling crypto regulars have completely disappeared. (laughs) Oh. Live by the Bitcoin, die by the Bitcoin, I guess. Uh, Uh, uh,
3: Leo, you'll love this. There's a restaurant in Salesforce Park in San Francisco uh, that has a membership tier. Uh, You have to buy an NFT to
0: to join it. Is this and, the one at the top of Urba Buena Center that they they put in? It's so it's
3: Salesforce Park. Uh, okay. No, uh, a couple blocks away. In it's actually in Salesforce Park.
0: Um, in Salesforce Oh, it's on top of yeah. the building. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. And, I heard about and
3: this. I, I've got to think like this is this has got to be the most doomed business plan of, of twenty twenty-three <laughs> between, you know, Salesforce not forcing people to return to the office, conferences being way down and NFTs being, you know being kind of in the shitter, um, I would not be betting on show. That's the that's the name of the restaurant.
0: This is a, a private members lounge and restaurant, it cost as much as three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, what? How could a restaurant be NFT based? I don't I mean I mean that's just
3: like a fancy <laughs> a fancy membership card, right? Like it's a fancy way to sell someone a membership
0: card. Show and Club is a members only NFT based hospitality club providing exclusive access to immersive experiences and services around its flagship restaurant, Show SHO. Did you ever go there? Did you ever get invited there? I I'm not even sure it's, Did it ever uh, open? Yeah, I'm not sure it's open. $300,000 a pop for its top-tier membership fee. Uh, for us, said the, uh, the uh, founder, it's not about building a Web3 NFT community. It's about building a community, period, and the value we place on creating and serving the communities that we operate in. Is it the fire festival uh, atop the Salesforce building? Is that what it is? Do <laughs> you get a cheese sandwich at least for your three? I, I mean,
3: <laughs> I, I would hope the sushi were you know would be good. I think it's I think it's izakaya style actually.
0: Oh well, yeah. Uh, well, there was a 2019 New Yorker article about the floating utopia of Salesforce Park. Have you been up there at least? It's five acres on top of the building. Oh, the park is wonderful. Um, it's
3: got, uh, it, it's, it's got like trees from every kind of Mediterranean climate around the world. Wow. Um, you know, kind of like the same climate as California, but from Australia, from South Africa, it's, you know, uh, it's an arboreal, you know, it's an arboreal fantasy. Um, and, and, you know, you know, people love to walk around there. I don't think they love to pay $300,000 for, for an NFT.
0: Uh, let me see, here it is, the show club, restaurant experience, uh, iconic location, heart of San Francisco, all this is is drawings uh, so far, it was pretty though, looks pretty, ooh, nice, let me see, uh, let me apply, I wonder how much... <laughs> Oh, they're not going to tell me. I just have to give them my name and address, and they'll be. If you have in to touch. ask, yes. Leo, if you have to ask, you can't report it. But I want private mezzanine dining. These are all renders, right? This is this. This did it ever open? Uh, you know the.
3: I, I will say the last time I, I was in Salesforce Park, uh, which was not long ago, it, there was no sign that it was open.
0: Yeah. Powering this community is an entirely unique application of digital tech and Web3 technologies in the culinary arts. That doesn't sound too good to eat, to be honest with you. I don't want Web3 in my, in my sushi. All right, let's take a little break. Uh, more to come with our esteemed panel, uh, the wonderful Jill Duffy. Not Judy Duffy, not Jilly Duffy, just Jill. Did they ever call you Jilly. Yeah,
2: no? sometimes. sometimes sometimes people get confused by I put my middle initial in all my online handles the, so you, you Jill got the
0: D e. Duffy. Jill E Duffy, Jill yeah. E Duffy. Uh PC Magazine going great and the new book The Everything Guide to Remote Work. All the tools and technologies in there. Everything you need to know. Everything. 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 Owen oh, Thomas who's looking for work if you want to hire him. Are you looking are you actively looking or I I'm, I'm having conversations is that is that what uh you're folks the say same position as all those uh, Twitter employees who got the three months severance I three months should be enough time to find a job right? yeah I'm
3: I, I'm glad I'm not a product manager or you know or, Oh, uh, uh, gosh that would be hard to yeah. find that job I, I mean they, they left, laid off the entire communications team reportedly This is uh, the fun thing
0: know. every story now about Twitter ends with, we attempted to com- contact Twitter to get a response, but they've laid off their communications team. Honestly, I think newspapers like writing that. Like,
3: <laughs> they just enjoy that.
1: They I mean, the old, jo-
3: the old joke about Apple is that, you know, they had a huge communications team and you would never get an answer anyway. Right. So. Doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there a way to reach you if somebody wants to uh, employ you as a fabulous writer? Because you are. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Yes, please. Uh,
3: owen at dideratti You can DM me uh, on Twitter at Owen Thomas. Um,
0: I suppose I really should be on Mastodon, right? For uh your colleague Megan, Megan Maroney, good, our good friend, uh, tweeted. She said, "I'm I'm available." Um, I just it kills me when you have a what was a great product protocol uh, with very very good people who all moved over to work there. Didn't didn't Yanko Rutgers uh, move over there too? Uh, yes, I think he was yeah. at, uh, I want to say Variety before. before yeah, he Protocol. went from, he was GigaOM, and then he did a great job at Variety out of work. I mean, so many talented people. I, it just breaks my heart. Uh, farewell from uh, Protocol. So, you know, and Ditherati, which is D I T H uh, E R A T I dot com, is Owen's uh, moribund blog, but it's, it's coming, I think it's coming back to life. I, I, I hear
3: blogs are i hear blogs are <laughs> retro
0: blogs are back baby i'm a blogs bi- I, are back. I, I, you know everybody's talking about well if we don't have twitter how do we communicate have a freaking blog for crying out loud what that what's wrong with that and i like what you're doing you do little short this is this is like a true a true blog or it used to be little short clips and links and stuff it's yeah, a link, it, link blog it, it
3: actually started, I want to say, in 97, which was before the term weblog was
0: invented. So right, right. Take that and for what you will. There you go. Did, you, did the raw? I want to see Owen start this up again. Of course, I'm not the one to talk. I haven't posted my blog in months either. I know how it is. <laughs> uh, and uh, Nicholas de Leon, who has to file, he's got to write because he has a job <laughs> at Consumer Reports as the senior electronics reporter. So you no no resting for you. Get that cubicle. Uh, did you do you still have the cubicle in Yonkers or is that gone? No, they
4: took it from me. Damn. They took it well, they took it from us. It, I liked I liked the cubicle itself. I it was glass, but I had a door, I could close it, I could concentrate. Nice. Uh so it was actually very nice. Uh but that is no longer I had to send in the key. I sent them the key to like the, the facilities oh, guy
0: over the summer. Oh. So bon voyage, I guess. Bon voyage. Oh cubicle, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> Our show today brought to you by something we all know and love. I think this is the longest running sponsor on our shows, audible.com. Early on, people said, do you really want to promote audiobooks? People will listen to them and not listen to your shows. I said, yes. I said, if that's what you want to do, you do it. Because Audible is the best way to enjoy audio entertainment all in one app. I am. I've been an Audible member since the year 2000. When I had a long commute from here to San Francisco every day, sometimes as much as two or three hours a day in the car, sometimes even longer, and I was going nuts, and I found Audible, and it saved my life. I had the Diamond Rio. I used to <laughs> I used to listen on a little, and Audible had its own little thing at, at first, and then I listened on the Diamond Rio. And of course, now it's easy. You kids today, you don't know. You get an Audible app on your iPhone or your Android, and you've got... A whole world of audio entertainment waiting for you. You don't you don't ride in an elevator to listen to the music, right? You don't choose an airline because it's got the best movies. So when it comes to audio entertainment, it makes sense to choose Audible because they've got the best. The home for stories told by the biggest stars, Ethan Hawke, Kerry Washington, Kevin Hart. Lisa and I have been listening. We've listened to all of Kevin Hart's audio books. Audible is home to epic adventures, chilling mysteries, can't miss comedies. When uh, The Peripheral uh, came to Amazon Prime, I said, wait a minute. Yeah, it was in my library. And that's what I love about Audible is I can listen to audiobooks before they become major motion pictures or uh, big-time t- big TV shows and uh, and see the pictures in my mind. That's kind of what the best thing is about Audible. Go to A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash twit. Or you can text twit to 500-500. Uh, just now, I, I have any of you ever listened to, to Ian Banks' uh, sci-fi? I have not. His culture series, I found out, is a major influence on one Elon Musk. So I thought, oh, oh, I've got to listen to this. In fact, those crazy names he gives the drone ships... When, where they land the uh, the rockets, those all come from Ian Banks' novels. So I am now embarked upon a long... Well, we'll see. We'll see how long it is, how good it is. Uh, long journey with Ian. I think they're still recording them because they're not all there yet. That's one of the things Audible does that's fantastic. Audible's Frontiers program is recording classic sci-fi that never got turned into audiobooks so you can listen back to some great stuff. Oh, new Stephen King. Got to put that on the list, right? Whenever there's a new Stephen King, uh, Paul Thorat and I were talking about eleven twenty two sixty three, 63 about one man's attempt to go back in time and stop the Kennedy assassination. Paul just re-listened to it. Another thing Audible does that's great is they do... Um, What do they call it? Full cast. So if you're a Neil Gaiman fan, for instance, Audible is heaven for Neil Gaiman fans. But they also have done an incredible dramatization of the Sandman. And a full cast with some of the best actors in the business, including Neil himself. The Sandman is amazing. And you're just going to love it. If you go to audible.com slash twit, you can pick your first audio book. Uh, and that might be a good one. But one of the nice things that they do is they let you sample before you buy, so I recommend you do that. They have an incredible selection of audiobooks in every genre, best sellers, new releases, mysteries, thrillers, motivation, wellness, business. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep. That includes all the latest bestsellers and new releases. But this is something relatively new, and I really like this. You also get full access to a growing selection of audiobooks that are included in your membership. You get podcasts. You can download or stream their included titles all you want. Steve Gibson told me about the Silver Ships series. Great audio books. I listened to the first one, and then I noticed m- most of the rest are part of my uh, account. I can get them just for free, listening anytime I want. That's That's awesome. Audible. No matter where you are, washing dishes, walking the dog, driving to and from work, whatever you're doing, you can... Let your imagination run wild. You I, I swear if you can watch the peripheral or you can listen to the audiobook and it comes to life in your head. And you can listen about the lives of celebrities, journey to your best self. Check out the spider web of true crimes. I love mysteries on Audible. Discover new worlds, old worlds, and how to make a better world. It's all on Audible. Let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. I hope I've sold you on it. If you're not a member, I most of you probably are by now, but if you're not a member, you could try it free for 30 days by going to audible.com slash twit or text twit to 500-500. That's a good thing to do on your phone because they'll just send you a link to the app. You can download it right away. Audible.com slash twit or text twit to 500-500 and you get it free for 30 days days that's a lot of listening audible.com slash twit highly highly uh recommended uh speaking of amazon it just uh came out that who would have thought it the amazon echo is a colossal failure Uh, on pace according to ars technica to lose 10 billion dollars this year In their layoffs, Amazon laid off as much as half of the Amazon. I'm going to call it Echo Team, but you know it's the A word, A-L-E-X-A Team. Uh, This is a report from Business Insider, which says even though Echo's been around for 10 years and has been kind of the trailblazer as a voice assistant, copied by Apple, copied by Google and Samsung, it never created an ongoing revenue stream. Business Insider says the division lost $3 billion in just the first quarter of this year with the majority of the losses blamed on Echo. That's the worldwide digital group, so uh, it includes Amazon Prime. But Echo has really been the money loser. Double the losses of any division. The hardware team on pace to lose $10 billion. How do you lose money on Echo? Well, one, the devices are sold basically at cost. Echo's, Echo is among the best-selling Amazon items but most of the devices are sold at cost. The internal document seen by Business Insider described the business model by saying, quote, we want to make money when people use our devices, not when they buy our devices. But the problem is, well, you tell me, how do you use your Amazon Echo if you have one? Set a timer, play some music. That's it, right?
2: I, I have owned them to test them and i have never in my life had one that i've just kept in my home you don't even have one because why would you want a device that is listening to you at all times in <laughs> your home i mean there's two fundamental things one is listening to you all the times well,
0: so is problem. your phone jill let's face it right you're carrying Yay. a device like that in your pocket
2: yeah, the, I mean, you have to trust that the act, that the microphone is not active at all times, right? Like, I don't have my uh, device set to automatically hear me if I say a trigger word or lift it up. I have that all turned off. Um, but the other fundamental problem with the Amazon devices is what have they done differently in 10 years? Right. You know, when, when they first came out, I think they did not meet consumers' expectations of what they could do. People thought they could talk to them naturally and have... Uh, information come back to them that is sorely not the case anybody who actually has one of these devices knows you get trained over time to know what you can and cannot say to it how to phrase it in what order etc cetera, etc cetera. and that has really fundamentally not changed in the 10 years since it's been around so i think if you if if you were to give this device to a new person who had never used it before and said you just get to talk to it and it will give you answers, do things for you, they would immediately do five things that just don't work at all. It's, it's not It's not an impressive device. It's just not. Earlier today, um,
0: I asked it to open the pod bay doors. It actually responds and says, uh, I'm not Dave and I don't have any pod bay doors. I'm just a device.
2: And I'm so here. maybe that made you giggle, but it didn't open <laughs> didn't, your pod bay didn't doors. Do anything.
0: Didn't do anything. Um, I We have, I'm, you know the poster boy for these things in every room of the house. I have an echo. I have a Google assistant, you know, a show, one of the Google screens. I have a Siri. I even in my kitchen have Sonos, which listens to me. Uh, And frequently when we're watching TV, these devices wake up and go, what? No. Okay. And go back to sleep. It's like your house is inhabited by nice little, Creatures that really aren't very helpful, but they're there. Do you, uh, who anybody? Uh, do you have one of these? Any of these, Owen? You know, I have an Echo
3: Flex, which I think is the, the smallest one, which I think I, I literally got for free. You know, it was it was like, hey, we'll sell you an Echo Flex in this order for zero dollars. Yeah. Like, or, OK. Or Ninety nine cents. OK. Like sure. And I put it in my uh, garage where I had a garage gym during the pandemic and I used it to play music while I worked out. So I didn't have to have. That's you know, nice. Right. Something in my ear.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And that um, and then I occasionally tried to use it as like an in-house intercom. And my husband hated it. So oh, it that's...
0: annoys people so much when you do that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Totally. Uh, So, so that was off. Um, I was, I I remember writing about this when it first came out and being fascinated by the idea of, you know, essentially an, an audio app store. And I think that was the ambition Amazon had, and it just never realized it. As Jill pointed out, the quality wasn't there, the understanding, you know, the natural language understanding wasn't there. And, um, and so they never really, you know, created that business model like apple makes 30 percent off of you know off of app store transactions and that helps you know uh that helps kind of fuel the profitability of of the iphone business um amazon you know doesn't make money when they sell hardware by and large and they don't have the app store that you know that you know kind of buffers that so i i can see it you know just kind of
0: spiraling out of control in terms they, of, um, of losses they originally thought this would be a device in the house that people would use to buy stuff from amazon but apparently yeah, no, nobody does that i well, do it they, from time to time but i guess i'm their like perfect client
3: well they saw with amazon prime that uh they saw with amazon prime that if you're a prime subscriber the lift that uh amazon gets from um uh from increased purchasing behavior, yeah, more that makes
0: up for the cost of the you know of the fast shipping. That's true. Uh, That's true, right? right? And by the way, Amazon Prime is now over a hundred. What is it? One hundred seventy bucks or something? Yeah, uh, It's mean, a lot less know. expensive. But it, but I pay for it, and you're right that because I pay for it, I immediately go to the Amazon site when I when I like I'm in the bathroom, I run out of shaving cream, which I don't use, but I'm using it as an example. If mm-hmm. I run, I would say. Echo, buy some shaving cream, and then it will say, "Well, last time you bought this kind of shaving cream, you want to buy that?" And I'll say, "Yes." They say, "What's your order number?" I say, "What's your magic number?" I have a pin. I say that, and then the shaving cream comes the next day. That's who wouldn't want that? Apparently, nobody. Nobody Not wants people. that. Not enough people want that. Come on, Nicholas, you must
4: use the Echo. I, uh, yes, I do. I have finally. I, I have a Sonos one. I just bought an Echo, uh, an Echo Dot on the Black Friday sale. Uh, I use, but I use them for, and I think this is the issue. Actually, is like I use them for very simple things.
0: Uh, what's the weather? Uh, yeah. You know, you're not making them any money. You just play a podcast. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no way. The it's one actually thing I want, it's great for Audible. I actually say read to me, and it will yeah. pick up my current book wherever I left it. To, to kind of to Owen's point, I feel
4: like in 2016 when I was at Vice Motherboard, we we randomly did a story on like I don't know like cool uh, Amazon digital assistant skills you could use or whatever something to that effect, right? Uh, and the story did like very well, which was very surprising to us because like Motherboard was not like you know Motherboard was a tech is tech is bad that was basically right. Motherboard right. idea, right? And the story about like oh the cool things you By can the way, do with
0: Motherboard's this still in business, Protocol is not so I think you chose the right path I'm uh sorry, it, Owen. be that as it, but <laughs> oh, i think they oh the and don't cry oh, oh, I oh i'm sorry That was mean that was mean i'm sorry Owen.
4: that was mean <laughs> um, uh, but we were just kind of surprised that, like this site is not really about like all the cool things you no, can do no with it's your not tech. that's more of a it, gizmodo or a yeah, verge. yeah. that's a verge so, story yeah may, yeah or someone else whatever that's fine but like it we did it and it did well and so i was like okay that was 2016. So that's a few years ago. Maybe back then people were more
0: like, "Oh, this is kind of a neat new tech." No, will, you know, I know, I know, because I read that article. I read every article. Once you have one, you're desperate to find something it can do that's useful. So you, that could be it too. You yeah. read all the articles, hoping there's some magic command. Yeah. Instead, you're just doing timers, music. Uh, yeah, there's not much people do with Whether, which is fart fine sounds. Yeah, fart well. sounds. Play podcast. I don't do the and skills. Do you? I mean, I, remember they were pushing the skills. Like I do remember that. Yeah, yeah No, I don't use any play Don't so. use any of that. Nope. I think no. this has really been a flop. And I have to think it's not just Amazon. Uh, well, we don't know, but I bet Google's having the same problem. What's Google getting out of this? Except listening to it, Jill. Didn't didn't Microsoft basically kill off its? Cortana? They did. They had one. They made one with a uh, Harman Carden yeah. called Cortana. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, that was, the, in fact, I bought that too because I wanted everyone <laughs> to listen to me. I live in front of a microphone. What am I gonna? What's what are they gonna hear that they don't? Everybody else is in here, but uh, the Cortana, they now have repurposed it so it just kind of it stopped working as a Cortana device, and you can. It's a Bluetooth speaker now. It's a very pricey <laughs> Bluetooth speaker
2: for Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet. They don't need that money though. Yeah, like that loss true. in their business is not big really deal. hurting them. Right. I think I think there was definitely some early speculation that natural language processing was going to have a big value payout. And it just I don't think it I don't think it has. But that's not to say it's not valuable for the business at large. So for example, Microsoft can use a lot of the information it's it's learned and acquired to in its natural language processing systems, and use that for its accessibility features, right? So it's not, it's not like they would scrap it entirely. There's still useful things that they can take from that end of the business and put into other sides of the business. With Amazon, I'm not sure how they could leverage it in a different way, but I'm sure they have ideas about how they could do that.
0: Don't you feel like they're trapped, though? They can't just turn it off. I mean, Microsoft turned it off soon enough that it didn't hurt anybody, but, but Amazon, Google, Apple... Samsung. It's also interesting. You turn those uh, off.
4: They're kind of expanding it. Like the, the Echo Dot that I just purchased can also double as a as an Eero Wi-Fi beacon. So yeah. So I haven't set it up yet. That's right. And I did right. buy the Eero as well. Uh, that's right. Parties, it can be so. a beacon now. Yeah, that's So that's, that's useful beyond yeah. just timers and whatever. And yeah. also as, as an aside – you know, it these devices may not be transformative to Google's business or whatever, but they're kind of neat and useful. I can, I can ask the weather that I couldn't do that 10 years ago. I could set a multiple timers. That's kind of cool. I know my father has these devices all mixed matched all throughout his house. Uh, and he just kind of gets at a kick out of like turning off the lights and stuff. Is that, you know, is that, is that so bad? I do that I know, too. But,
0: Doesn't make Amazon yeah. any money. <laughs> no, it doesn't make an Amazon money, which is, I suppose, the bigger That's problem, the problem for Amazon because it costs yeah. them, right? They got to have servers, they got to yeah. have software, they got to have people maintain it. It costs them, it costs them ten billion a year, apparently. I'll tell you one place Amazon's Echo is in space, aboard the Artemis Orion capsule. This is Callisto Orion's onboard technology demonstration. Now, there's no astronauts in Orion. They said they thought astronauts would like having Echo in space. I I asked Rod Pilar, space guy, is this just basically an ad for Amazon? And he said, no, actually, if you're in a space suit doing an EVA, being able to talk to the system and say, open the pod bay doors, please, would be useful if it does. As long as it does. If it doesn't, not good. Uh, Callisto... um, Involves both an iPad and <laughs> Amazon's Echo, uh, and for some reason Cisco's Webex. Uh, there is nobody up there. They obviously don't have to call back to the home offices in uh, in Seattle. They have the whole database up there in space. But the only good thing about this is, if you wish, you can leave. You can actually send a message to Callisto. Before they get home, which they're going to be home in a couple of days, you can be part of the One uh, Artemis One mission by sending a personal message for free uh, and it will show it on the screen.
2: <laughs> As if the trolls can't already get you in enough places.
1: <laughs>
0: well, Could you
2: no. imagine going to space and getting nasty messages in <laughs> no, space? No, really,
0: really. Uh, what about Hunter Biden's laptop, huh? What about it? Uh, No, in fact, they're very careful to say upon submission, your message will be reviewed and selected for display at the sole discretion of Lockheed Martin. Messages with derogatory, defamatory, racist, sexist or otherwise inappropriate content will be automatically rejected. Messages that include any copyrighted materials or endorse any person's products, brands, etc. will also be automatically rejected. I think you have to say something like I come in peace for all mankind if you really want to get it up there.
2: You should
0: that's, send them a message. Uh, Rod, that's who I did. Really want, Rod wrote a uh, space haiku that he sent to them. We'll see if he gets it.
3: Go ahead. Uh, that's who I really want moderating uh, moderating the internet <laughs> is Lockheed Martin.
0: Lockheed Martin. You know, we brought you the Vietnam War, and now we're going to bring you internet. Uh, no, that's unfair. Lockheed Martin has done many wonderful things, including this spacecraft. And uh, it has Amazon's Echo and an iPad in it. Because something had to talk the Echo because there's no people there. There's just, uh, what is his name, Mannequin Skywalker, the, uh, the dummy. And there's a little stuffed Snoopy floating around as well. It's a pretty capsule, though. I wouldn't mind going up there, you know. And if you get lonely, you can always talk to uh, Echo. All right, final break. I've got a few more stories. I will find something of interest, I promise. And I will not say anything bad about protocol again. I'm sorry. I loved protocol. That's what I was saying. I was saying how much I loved it, how sad I am to lose it. That's all. Ooh, let me show you this. This is cool. This is our sponsor for this segment of the show, a little company called On Logic. These are the coolest things ever. These are industrial computers made for environments that a normal computer would not be happy in that's one of the big shifts in computing computing at the edge it's moving away from the computer on your desktop you're probably no more than a few feet from a personal computer that's changed your life right but did you know there's an entire hidden world of computing all around empowered by these on logic computers bringing smart cities to life driving sustainable agriculture, revolutionizing the way virtually everything is made. These are in factories everywhere. I hope you don't ever see one, but they're on hospital crash carts. On Logic's distinctive orange industrial and embedded computers are so amazing because they're custom built to the environment you want to be in uh, with hardware that you need, no more, no less, OnLogic is the first choice in industrial computing for innovators around the world who need computing power that can survive and thrive where traditional hardware is going to fail. OnLogic designs and creates these beautiful orange boxes that custom computing solutions that fit in the palm of your hand while powering everything from advanced robotics and AI to manufacturing automation digital media solutions, smart agriculture technologies. What's cool about these is they're passively cooled. That's why you got the fins. They're ventless, fanless. They protect internal components from dust, airborne contaminants. You've got an entirely solid state device, no moving parts, which means they're impervious to shock and vibration. There's designs for all kinds of needs, including extreme temperatures, radio interference. This one's cool because it has... Six ports for Wi-Fi antennas. So you add as many as you want. It's pretty incredible. The team at OnLogic designs these to your specs, to your needs. They really care about creating right-fit solutions tailored specifically to solve your unique technology challenges. OnLogic partners with leading software companies, AWS for one to enable rapid evaluation and deployment of edge computing solutions, for example, OnLogic's line of AWS IoT Greengrass compatible computers, vetted and approved by AWS, so you've got the peace of mind it's going to work right out of the box with your Greengrass application. If you need a computing solution that can be easily configured to your particular needs, supported by industry experts who are just a phone call, website chat, or email away and delivered to you quickly, the team at OnLogic is ready to of course, you know, I know a lot of you are do-it-yourselfers. You can go to the website. OnLogic's easy-to-use website gives you the power to configure and order your next industrial computing device quickly and easily right online. All in-stock online orders are custom-built to your specification, thoroughly tested, shipped in as little as five days. So you're less than a week away from your on Logic. When you need a custom-configured industrial computer, edge server, panel PC delivered quickly, The first place to go, onlogic.com slash twit. Learn more about OnLogic's 30-day risk-free hardware trial. Connect with their experts. Let them help you and design it or design it yourself at onlogic.com slash twit. O-N-L-O-G-I-C, onlogic.com slash twit. The cool factor is very high on these puppies. These are so, so cool. onlogic.com slash twit twit we thank them so much for supporting this week in tech you support us by uh, using that address so they know you saw it here that's important to us on logic.com slash twit we had a great week this week on twit and we made a little miniature movie for you to enjoy and learn all about it watch Real quick, this is another
2: fine
1: time here in Club Twit, as we're going to sit down with my man, Mister Jonathan Bennett, to have a bit of a good old-fashioned AMA with you, our Club Twit members. But the next question comes from Mashed Potato. This is this made me laugh. What shampoo and hair care
0: products does Jonathan make <laughs> Man, <mean>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man what, whatever whatever works for you. I don't know <laughs> what shampoo you use. Previously on Twit all about Android. I'd actually go hands on with the OnePlus Nord N300
4: 5G. This is a very affordable device and you can kind of see like design-wise it really it really takes some inspiration from the iPhone 14 iOS today. I am joined by a special guest to talk to you about tips and tricks for the Apple TV. Stay tuned.
0: Windows Weekly through some combination of hardware improvements on, on Qualcomm side, and more important, I think the platform improvements that Microsoft has done, they have made Windows more viable on Macs. Windows on ARM is better. Well, that means that Windows can be better on a Mac, and that and it, it's better than it is on a Qualcomm PC. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> that's not. It's good. a weird problem. Twit. Technology isn't always pretty, but we are. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jim Cutler, the great Jim Cutler, who is uh, the voice of our promos, thanks to our promo department, uh, to Victor Bognot and et cetera, and uh, Anthony uh, Nielsen for those wonderful promos. A couple more stories before we wrap things up with our wonderful panel. Owen Thomas from Ditherati.com com, uh, formerly uh, of protocol, uh, uh, dot com. Jill Duffy from PCMag.com and from Consumer Reports, their senior technology reporter, Mr. Nicholas DeLeon. Uh, Black Friday was the uh, day before yesterday. Cyber Monday's tomorrow. Doesn't seem like people really care about those anymore, right? Uh,
4: I mean, we write a million stories about that stuff and the stories do pretty well. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I love a good deal. Like I said, I just bought an, uh, an Echo Dot about 50% off. I bought the Euro 6E, Euro Pro 6E, whatever percentage off that was. I bought a bunch of steam. I still get excited about like, oh, this thing that used to be a hundred dollars a month ago. Now it's 60, like, I don't know. And so I don't know how big, I think one of the issues is, is that like everyone this coverage is now wall to wall i feel like you can go to like variety.com or like the Hollywood reporter and read about amazon's (laughs) cyber monday deals that doesn't make sense if gizmodo wants to do it if consumer reports wants to do it okay that at least makes sense but it's so pervasive now yeah Yeah, exactly folks who cover this stuff like i don't need sports illustrated telling me about like the best (laughs) amazon and that's what it feels like it's becoming over the years i've been doing this lord knows uh uh many years now uh so i've kind of seen now everyone does it so i think there's kind of like an exhaustion there but as far like on the, the low level tactical i don't know i feel like folks still like getting a deal on a kindle or whatever the case may be so
0: you've got your cyber monday story then probably at consumerreports.org we've got we've got a bunch
4: yeah yep. yeah yeah
0: uh, i know jill you've got yours at pc mag actually it's jay chung lee wrote this one the best cyber monday deals of 2022, the only place it doesn't have it is protocol. Oh God, I did it again. I'm so <laughs> and really, I, I don't. I don't think we would have you would, had. A, you were a news. You, know, you were a news organization.
3: Not a right. you know Not a straight up uh, yeah story. Actually, the the story I might have written was how you know Black Friday and Cyber Monday have uh, have blurred into one kind of online offline. Uh, mega sale that that probably starts like november 1st yeah i think it's a
0: month now
3: yeah Yeah. for sure remember cyber monday as a phenomenon existed because people were on dial-up modems at home yep and then they would go back to work when they had high-speed connections on monday and do their shopping and i mean that's just ridiculous in 2022 like that's not the behavior
2: so I spend a lot of time outside of the United States, and I've lived in a couple of countries outside the United States, and it just tickles me with so much delight in November when all the shops have Black Week sale, Black Friday sale. Because they don't Black have Month.
0: Thanksgiving. There's got-
2: no Thanksgiving. Yeah. No, but in Ro- I would go to the mall in Romania, and they're like, it's Black Month sale, and it was just like... Kind of joyous and fun. It would start on a random day. It wasn't necessarily on a Friday. And I love it. I love it.
0: Black Friday uh, was somewhat of a success. We already have metrics. You know, Adobe and others uh, uh, do yeah. do uh, report on how it went. I think it's pretty clear now that online shopping has, to some degree, replaced in-store shopping. There was a boost in in in-store traffic. Actually, there was a surge last year uh, in 2020. People were so happy to get out of the house. Uh, But high gasoline and grocery prices and inflation have weighed on households. The report is from, at least this is from Retail Next. There's several reporters. Store traffic up 7% on Black Friday compared with 2021. In-store sales up 0.1%. 0.1%. A lot of lucky loose uh, going in there. Um, I think people, I hope people aren't doing this. They're going into stores to choose what they're going to buy and then go back home and buy it online. I hope they're not doing that, but that kind of implies that they might be. Uh, MasterCard, which kind of monitors everything says Black Friday sales were up 12% over last year, but that's also online as well as in-store. And it's not adjusted for inflation. So it might be with taking inflation into account only a few percent more. It wasn't this giant, we're going to get out of the red and into the black holiday that it used to be. That's why it was called Black Friday, right? It was a chance for retailers to... Make you know all the money that get out of the get out of the money losing column and get into the money plus column. Um, customer sentiment index from the University of Michigan. By the way, congratulations, University <laughs> of Michigan. Uh, fell five point two percent compared with October, down sixteen percent compared with November twenty twenty one. So people are less bullish than they were last year, but a little more bullish than they were last month. <laughs> Uh, Walmart and Target said shoppers are spending less on discretionary items. Again, that's chill in the economy. People are buying things they have to buy, but not things they don't have to buy. Macy's, Kohl's, and Target said sales slowed in October and early November. And people think that that, it's possible shoppers are delaying their holiday purchases until closer to Christmas. In other words, bottom line, a lukewarm Black Friday.
4: I feel like we also don't see a lot of the crazy Black Friday stuff that we saw maybe ten years ago. The fights and all that stuff. That and they like the retailers were making folks you know go to work during Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, like like, that was kind of ridiculous. Three a.m. openings, all that stuff's gone. I went to a local Macy's on Black Friday itself to buy some dress socks, uh, and it didn't seem any crazier than any other friday or saturday it felt the traffic seemed about the same uh it, it just felt like a normal day so i assume that's a consequence of just so much shopping going online but i, I wanted to see the the calamity and i
0: didn't know there, really uh, there is a there is a short story there that's the perfect first sentence on black friday nicholas de leon went shopping <laughs> to buy some dress socks i don't know where that it's gonna true. go from there but there's something there there's a whole story there not, not not athletic socks, dress socks. They wear dress socks. <laughs> okay. It's very George Costanza sounding, yeah. <laughs> or maybe Frank Costanza, to be more specific. <laughs> well, hey, Festivus is just around the corner. Let's not forget. Yeah. And we've got our poll ready to go and uh, all our grievances. <laughs> uh, final story. You like this tickled you, Jill Duffy. French man wins right not to be fun at work. This Great
2: is- headline! Great headline. <laughs>
0: That's the Washington Post. You know,
2: no. When you read the story, it's it's more about you know having to go on these weekend retreat getaway things where there's excessive drinking and people sleeping with one another. Legitimate that he doesn't want to participate in this, but I, I love the headline and I love the idea of bringing up this topic that not everybody wants to have fun at work. Yes. And Lots you should, of us want to do our job, yeah. get paid for what we are contractually you know, exactly. contractually obligated to do and go home and have the rest of our lives to live. We want to enjoy our leisure time. I think that is such an important thing for people to learn at an early age before they get indoctrinated into this idea that you have to work uh, so hard over time. You have to give your all. You have to be at work all the time. You should make friends with people at work. Hey, enjoy the free dinner we give you at work. Learn early on that you can set those boundaries, and you do not have to participate in those things if you don't want to. Something I talk about in my book for remote companies is that if you're going to make it fun, make it optional. Everything that you're going to put out there for employees to socialize, get to know one another, it has to be opt in, not opt out. Very good. I like that. Make. People feel pressured yeah. to be a part of something that is optional. It's so important to talk, talk about this.
0: The uh, man referred to by court documents as Mr. T. I <laughs> uh, pity the fool who doesn't want to have fun in my company was fired from Cubic Partners in a Paris-based consulting firm in 2015. This has been wending its way through Parisian courts for seven years. He refused to take part in seminars and weekend social events that his lawyers argued uh, included excessive alcoholism and promiscuity. Mr. T argued that the fun culture in the company involved, quote, humiliating and intrusive practices, including, you know what? This guy should get compensation. Mock sexual acts, crude nicknames, and obliging him to share his bed with another employee during work functions. In its judgment this month, the highest court in in France, the court of Cassation, ruled the man was entitled to freedom of expression and refusing to participate in social activities was a fundamental freedom under labor and human rights laws and not grounds for his dismissal.
2: Well, I mean, wasn't that like what was on Succession? Yes.
0: <laughs> Boar on the floor. Go the We're going to play Boar on the Floor. Oh, my God. Um, I, I, you know, you, you, from your uh, mouth to my wife's ears, because she's going to force me on Tuesday is my birthday, and I know she's already saying I'm sorry. I said, for what? She said, you'll find out. <laughs> So I know I'll be I will I will be sub, subjugated to something. I don't know, maybe bake cake on the floor. I don't know. But um that's okay. It's something you put up with. That's fine when you when your wife runs the company. You have to you have to do it. Uh the company didn't like Mr. T's brittle and demotivating tone. <laughs> you're so cranky. Uh anyway, Thank you, Jill Duffy, and I'm sure we will find uh, this in your book all about the guide, the Everything Guide to Remote Work. The
2: Everything Guide to Remote Work. There is an ebook available if you want to get it today right now. Uh, There's no audio book, but it's not that kind of a book. It's the kind of book you can pick up, say, I'm having a problem right now. I need to fix whatever it is in my remote work life. You can flip to the chapter, get some good advice.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Just came out this year. So nice to see you. We haven't seen you in a while. I'm glad to get you back on. And uh, Oh, hope you thank you for having soon. me. Everybody uh, loves your dial phone on your bookshelf behind you. That actually used to work.
2: It does work. No, it does work. I had to unplug it because it was ringing all the time. But it was a functioning How do you phone.
0: get, uh, you, you go, tick, 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 and, the, and the phone company works with that?
2: Oh, tick, tick, I don't tick. dial out.
0: Oh, Okay. <laughs>
2: No, it does work. I did test it though. I called. I called my mobile phone from the landline phone to make and it sure worked. that it did work. And it works. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm surprised because that 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 click system has is so obsolete. Uh, I'm amazed. Oh, that I'm not in the U.S. See-
2: I don't know. I, I assume oh. it would work in the U.S. I'm not in the U.S. right now.
0: Oh, you're not in the U.S. <sighs> no, I had no idea. Not, not
2: today. I'm not.
0: Oh, where can I ask? Are you? Is it secret?
2: No, it's not secret. I'm in Guatemala right now.
0: I had no idea. How wonderful. Yeah. Yes. And is it the custom in Guatemala to arrange your books on the shelf and by color?
2: Uh, I, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you have somebody who comes in and does that for you? It that's, looks nice
2: though, doesn't it's it? It's
0: beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so well, that's interesting. So that kind of dialing works in Guatemala. I'm gonna, I assume
2: it would work in the I US. I don't think so.
0: I really don't. But uh, I don't know. Now I know why you do remote work, so you could be at Guatemala.
2: I move around all the time. I'm, I'm technically still based in Virginia, but I'm spending a lot of time in Guatemala lately. Is,
0: is that because of your husband's work, or is he a diplomat?
2: I, I don't want to talk about He's my partner. He's a spy.
0: He's a spy. <laughs> That's it. We know. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Is he going to overthrow the government on behalf of the United Fruit Company?
2: I think we already did
0: that in the eighties. No? <laughs> okay, just just checking, just making sure. Anyway, I love having you on, Jill. I had no Thank idea you. you were in Guatemala. That's wonderful. I'm
2: always somewhere interesting. That's very
0: cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. Poco in our chat room says I have a dial phone and it works. So I guess these still work. I thought for sure they were, you know, deprecated by now on the phone system, because the way they work, you know, it's clicks and like the zero is like a bunch of clicks. <laughs> And then the one is one click and the phone system hears that and switches based on that. I thought those were replaced by dial tones years ago, years ago. Um, wow. I've learned something today. Thank you, Jill Duffy. Thank you also, Owen Thomas. So great to see you. Ditherati.com. Look for his work. He's already working freelance. I'm just teasing him. He's doing Great. Uh, and you still tweeting at Owen Thomas? Yes, I'm still I'm still tooting for now. You're tweeting or tooting, tooting my own horn on Twitter. <laughs> it's Jill, Jill is Jill is tooting and are you tweeting or just tooting?
2: I'm I'm taking a break from the tweeting.
0: Yeah, I'm tooting myself. I like tooting, and I followed you on the on the verse. so I look I look forward to your your toots. Uh, also, Nicholas De Leon, Consumer Reports. So good to see you. Thank you, Nicholas. I hope you had a great holiday and I hope uh Thanks, Leah. I hope you have a wonderful December. We'll see you real soon. Likewise. Thanks for being here. We do twit every Sunday afternoon, two PM Pacific, five PM Eastern, twenty two hundred UTC. What time is it in Guatemala right now?
2: Um. What are we? Uh, an hour off of California? Is it just an hour. So
0: it's, oh, so it's not bad.
2: You know what time it is? It's doggy dinner time. Doggy dinner if, time. <laughs> if there's been any grumbling, I up saw on my you microphone. No, but, I didn't yeah, hear
0: anything. But at over. one point, I saw you lean over, and I thought, "There's somebody's over there. I yeah. don't know what, but there's <laughs> she's patting somebody." Thank you, all three of you. Join us for Twit every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. You can watch live all the things we do live at live.twit.tv. Chat live with uh, us at irc.twit.tv or in our Discord if you are a Club Twit member. After the fact, we put on demand versions of the show available at twit.tv's. slash This Week in Tech, I think. Anyway, just go to twit.tv. You'll find it pretty quickly. You can also uh, go to uh, uh, your favorite podcast client and subscribe. That might be the easiest uh, thing to do. Um, and that way you'll get it automatically. The minute's available just in time for your Monday morning commute from the bedroom to the kitchen or wherever you might be going. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye.